give me the green light because your boy BC is ready to go. It's the State of Combat with Brian Campbell podcast, and it's back on CBS Sports with the Pro Wrestling Edition, knee-deep into WrestleMania season and ready to invade your personal space and sensibilities with another dose of that performance-enhancing audio, the Brian Campbell. Hey, that's who you're here to see, right? That's who you're here to hear, and he's the voice that you hear. Back to remind you, I'll be honest, this is the best show going in wrestling podcasting today. That's the best of the best of the best of the best of the best that this world has to offer. Tell them, Brock. Tell them, okay? This is the one show that can beat up your favorite show. I'm hell or high water. We're going to kick their asses. We, that's what we do. We kick their asses, okay? That's what we do because we know on this show what you want. Bitch, you know what I want. And what you want is more gross. Andre the Giant promos. I know you do. You pay. You going to come on my back all the time. Oh, my God. That's <laughs> disgusting. That is just absolutely disgusting. Seriously, folks, until we get the kind of five-star reviews that this show deserves, I'm sorry. You're going to get more gross stuff like that. So get on out there. Do your due diligence on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you consume fine audio. Just do it already. Have some balls. Show up. Yeah, Dave. Show up. All right. We're showing up this week. You better believe that with another fine show another long intro to get you fired up for the show and i'm talking about a great guest as well i'm talking about smackdown live superstar wwe championship contender mustafa ali on to not just talk his meteoric wrestling rise over the past couple years going from an extra on the cruiserweight classic in 2016 to to the top of the pops this past sunday at Fastlane for the WWE Championship, but talks about really a personal journey, overcoming stereotypes to get to this point, really touching good stuff there. You're going to want to check that out for sure. And you know I got another voice coming at you. He's my co-host. Say hello to the bad guy. Oh, yeah. It was up to him. The only wrestling we would talk about is what takes place inside Titan Towers. He's a WWE original. He's the Silver King, Adam Silverstein. Hey, now. I mean, everyone knows that's false, BC, of course. But give me what I want, BC. Give me shorter intros on this podcast. Never. Because this is really what the people want. They want more Andre being gross. They might even want some gross WBF, World Boxing Federation analysis. If you want that, people, I got you covered. Oh, yeah. Uh, Very freak kind of muscle. Oh, gross. He is freaky. Yeah, freaky, Very, very impressive. I was was on this the other day. He's as thick as he is wide. Yeah, he is. He's as thick as he is wide. I'll tell you something. I'll be honest with you, Slats and McMahon. Wow, wow, Bobby. Bobby turned on by the WBF. Adam, you ever go back and check that weird stuff out on YouTube? It is so, like, what planet was Vince on when he came out with it? I've never seen anything having to do with WBF. I certainly was watching, you know, regularly during Brawl for All, and I know what that was like, so I can only imagine what WBF was like. Oh, my God. Please. I mean, we should probably do a uh, a bring back pay-per-view rewind rewind and just do a full two-hour WBF show. I mean, it's a bodybuilding show. Vince tried to bring in the theatrics of wrestling, and I'm not going to say that it was a a poor attempt because, like – 
He tried. He tried really hard. It was ambitious. Spent a lot of money. Used Heenan and Oakland and Lex Luger as crossovers. But the cringeworthy awkwardness from these shows, especially Vince on commentary, is off the damn charts. So that is that. Uh, so please get out there, people. Five-star reviews. Or you're going to get more of that creepiness in your life. Uh, Adam, um, as much as I say you love WWE, that's all we're pretty much going to talk about this week because we're 20-something days out from WM35, April 7th, New York, New Jersey. And it's uh, it's going pretty damn good. I'm pretty damn fired up. So, uh, hey, being the elite, you're not moving my needle at the moment. So you're going to take a back seat. I know there thing- there's a lot of things going on in Japan right now that I'm not watching as well. But when Raw and SmackDown and Fastlane makes us watch it and makes us care, it's the only thing well, going. Well, let's be honest also if we're going to talk about being the elite. Because, I mean... Listen, I started watching it, obviously, re- kind of right after Adam Cole left for WWE. And week by week, I was fully entertained, really excited by it. I know you haven't seen the last episode, BC, but four out of the five ep- last episodes of BTE, I just kind of shrug. It, it, I don't know if it feels like they're going through the motions, if they're not doing much because they're trying to wait for the build to double or nothing, but they're not getting me excited for AEW. They're just not. Uh, it is a pause moment right now. It is a, uh, hey, you're going to have to wow us. Wait and see. I'm sure there's a lot going on behind the scenes, but I- I'll agree with you on that. If you're going to be an AEW critiquer, and we try, and I always, uh, look, I want them to succeed, but I'm going to be honest. Yes, right now we're, we're well, waiting. Well, I thought you were about to say you always try to critique them, which you don't. No, so I do. I'm, I do. I'm, just... I'm honest when I need to be, and right now they're in that when in you be- need to be. <laughs> they're in that in-between moment where it's like, okay, guys, we need something. I'm sure they're figuring out their television deal at the moment. I know we're building two or to all or nothing, to double or nothing, but or all whatever, all in to double or nothing. You know what I'm saying here, May 25th, Las Vegas. But uh, yeah, at the moment, not much to talk about there. Maybe it's planned. They would have gotten swallowed up during WrestleMania season, but it's about the WWE for the moment, Adam. And that's, that's you know, where it should be. And it's going to be about the Mount Rushmore as we get closer to this April 7th day and we reveal who is on our team, who is on our list, who's a permanent family member in the will. We know that Tristan Adelato resigns there, man. Am I getting DMs left and right of people shooting their shot, so to speak? Not those kind of shots, not those kind of DMs. Come on, remember, hashtag no stick picks is how we live our life here. But DM season is upon us, Adam. I know you're shut down. You're closed off. You will not allow that into your life. But, man, people are fired the heck up trying to get on, get our attention. They want to be in the family. Oh, well, listen, yeah, my DMs are closed, but you can at reply all day long, and I actually... Unlike BC all the time, I actually answer you back. And if you hit us up at State of Combat on Twitter, Silver King opens the DMs there so you can send your questions to us directly. I got a couple already for the show. We will get to those, BC. Um, But I'm fired up for WrestleMania week, uh, WrestleMania weekend. And this, you know, this Mount Rushmore, we have some decisions to make. There's more. We have way too many candidates. for. Well, well I was thinking there's only four spots. And believe me, this is going to be the type of thing that people can fall off. You can join th- that lofty area, right? You can be you can be elected president, but you can also be impeached, right? Or your term yes. can run out. This is not a, a, a for life situation. But we know Tristan Adelano is up there on the mountain. Maybe I get a vote. Adam gets a vote. And then maybe we put that final vote up to the people. Of the remaining nominees. I, that's just an idea, mm. but, but... I don't know. Uh, I'm kind of thinking, look, you, you are the face that runs the place, you know, at least for now. But um, So what I think needs to happen, Until the though, Red and Black spinoff coming. Right, Wolfpack right. coming. Get ready, Bob Bachlin. Well, what, what, I, what I think needs to happen legitimately is I think we need to agree. 
I think we have to figure out which three listeners do we both agree deserve to be up there. And we will have some disagreements. There will be there will be disagreements and there will be some people left out. Um, what Adam is trying to say is if you're on his personal hit list, if you're a Bob Backlund at TalkBox, if you're Thomas Jordan Sutton, remember that guy? You, will you not keep be saying that. I still will. don't even remember an argument with him. I don't at all. I other I haven't exposed it, but there are other people who have DM'd me very angry at you, Adam. They say that you blocked them, you deleted your responses to them. They are very hurt at your no, I only, public, I only blocked one person. at your social media demeanor. Yeah, I keep it clean. Wow, and defensive, clean and defensive is the Silver King way. All right, enough rambling. All right, we know what what the people want. They want the main event. We know what Dean Ambrose wants. Dean Ambrose looks like he wants a piece of this pie. Wow, don't we all? Wow. Wow. We actually don't. We actually don't know what Dean Ambrose wants, and that is a part of it, BC. But we should, as you mentioned, get into the main event. This is the main event. And I really think we need to start off with Fastlane. A lot happened on Raw. A lot happened on SmackDown. We didn't do a Fastlane instant analysis because didn't really call for one. But a lot went down on that show. And what what I find extremely interesting is there are only two mindsets about Fastlane: people loved it or they hated it. And candidly, man. I don't understand anyone who hated it. There are things that happened during that show that I may not have loved or I wouldn't have booked that way. But when you talk about a four-hour pay-per-view plus a pre-show, the question is, were you entertained? And I was entertained. So just off the top, hero or zero on Fastlane? I got to give it a hero. I got to give it a B-plus pay-per-view. I have to say that I was very much entertained by the match qualities without question. Top three or four matches, the match quality was very, very good. I was entertained that they didn't use that pay-per-view for what I negatively negatively thought they might coming in, which is a, hey, we're throwing another pay-per-view out there to just get ticket sales. So uh, all these Mania feuds, you're not going to see much development. There was some development. So I was okay on that. I decided this, this, this de- debate and this discussion, Adam, is very similar to the one we had last week where I came out and said, look, yes, there's problems on this Rousey, Lynch, Charlotte Flair build. But I've decided that I'm going to enjoy it and go all in. And I think that mindset does extend to what Fastlane was. And I think there's a lot of people who just said, you know what? This was really damn entertaining as the last pay-per-view before WrestleMania. And they were okay with it. But I understand the people who were turned off continuously by the style of booking on this show. I heard people com- compare some of the moments on here to like d- prime WCW in the in a bad way, or, you know, things like that. And here's what yeah, I... your boy Dave Meltzer did that. Well, first of all, that's your boy. In fact, it's your boy. There's only two people who were wrong about the AEW news. You and Dave Meltzer. Let's for the record. I wasn't wrong about anything. That. Remind those always let it be. Written in stone. It, I was not wrong about anything. Engraved on a headstone in a cemetery with the other failed Silver King takes. We're never going to forget anything. Not wrong about anything. Go ahead. My point is, it's this. And Adam, some of it you've teased and mentioned before, so I'm not going to go on Dave uh, Shoemaker's podcast and take your take again. But here's the deal. That would be nice, yeah. Here's the deal. <laughs> There's a lot of... I don't want to say questionable booking. I don't want to say lazy booking. But if your standpoint is, hey... There's a different way to tell this Kofi Kingston story than to do such an obvious Daniel Bryan uh, 2014 remake. There's a better way to tell this Becky Lynch story when she was once so hot than to do 
a Daniel Bryan 2014 remake. So if you're going to look at it from that point of view, then maybe, yes, maybe this pay-per-view was trash. Maybe you're offended. Maybe it looks lazy booking to you. And in some ways it is, and we have talked about that. It's not great. But again, on the overall picture, I'm really excited at what this women's triple threat match can be, the chance for it to close Mania, rightfully so. I'm really excited about what Kofi Mania could be. I love the advancements we saw on Tuesday night, which we'll get to. But Sunday night, I can see it, Adam. It's a harsh, critical, deep-in-the-weeds, ultra-meta take. But I can see it. There were a couple of those moments on there where you had to make that decision for yourself. Yeah, I agree that there are moments on that Fastlane broadcast that were not good. And that's not an insult to say. But if you looked at it from a pay-per-view that needed to deliver, people were complaining there were no title changes. BC, in our predictions going in, what did I tell you? No title changes. There were no title changes, right? They used the pay-per-view almost as like a super smackdown. They use it to advance and develop storylines that some were changed, Kofi Kingston being one of them, that they may not have had the TV time otherwise to tell. Because they obviously just made that change from Kofi to Kevin. Owens, you know, reportedly was going to be the main eventer, not main eventer, the uh, contender for Daniel Bryan's WWE Championship at WrestleMania. So they used this pay-per-view to advance storylines, move things forward. And honestly, top to bottom, I really enjoyed it. But I'll tell you someone who didn't, BC, and give me that DM sound. Kentucky Long Rifle, what is that, an email? That person is Tristan Atliano. At Ataliano underscore Can, Tristan. At least pronounce and, the guy's name right. If you're going to put him on the Mount Rushmore and love the guy for the right reasons, you got to put him on. You got to pronounce. I like saying his name that way, and I'm going to keep doing it. And he wow. hasn't raised an Such issue. Such disrespect it, so. for Tristan. He hasn't wow. raised an issue with it. If he raises an issue, I'll change it. One day you'll mind. wake up in a pool missing a key vital organ, and it'll be Tristan, and I'll be applauding <laughs> him. All right, thank you. It is possible. Uh, but he sent me an extremely long DM. I cut it down. Here's what he has to say. All right, I thought Fastlane was garbage. Number one, booking of Kofi was horrible. They made him look so weak, got beat down by a team that's hardly on TV and barely got a comeback, presented him as less than a main eventer. Guys like Rollins, Styles, Reigns, Balor would have found a way to get the win or at least get out of the situation. The crowd was dead after that. Number two, uh, they damn near killed any crowd support for Mustafa Ali. They gave him the Rey Mysterio Rumble spot in 2015. Number three, they backdoored Becky into the main event. She looked weak, got little to no offense in her match. And then when Rousey interfered, Rousey didn't even put a beat down on her. Number four, the booking of the U.S. title, it was all of a sudden a fatal four-way match. Was there even an announcement? Five, the Elias stuff. Why? And also, was there any other way to get AJ and Randy on the show? Now, he makes valid points there, but I disagree with most of them. And just looking at the Kofi situation on its own at the pay-per-view, right? They totally swerved us. Vince purposely swerved us, swerved the crowd, got the crowd angry at him, and found a way to make him an even bigger underdog. The bar are no slouches, BC. Why should he beat them in a, in a handicap match? There's no scenario in which that should happen. I thought, so I want to start there with you. I thought that was fine. The handicap match, you thought it was fine. Uh, yeah, and the booking of it. and then I mean, it's a pay-per-view. And then, and then still coming through and delivering the triple threat match. And putting Mustafa Ali in there. He, I, he I don't got, love it. He got booed initially, but it was a great match. I don't love it for a couple reasons. By Tuesday, it's repaired. Yes, we'll get to that. Sunday, not repaired. That's a Raw SmackDown move. You can argue it's a WCW-ish Raw SmackDown move. Maybe not that you can argue that if you want. But they did it on a pay-per-view. I didn't love that, okay? 
uh, to, to sort of make that promise and pull it back. And then to come out with a third member of that uh, triple threat championship match, which, look, I love Mustafa Ali. He's going to be on the show. I love the journey he's on. I don't love throwing him out there and putting him in a position where he could get booed because storyline-wise, it really hasn't made a ton of sense for him to be in there. I'm with him there. I'm not with the way they've inserted him in there. So well, I can fully understand where Tristan's coming from. Again, I've made the overall decision, and Tuesday night certainly helped to be in on this, to enjoy it. But I fully get where our, where our guy face up in that rock, the Abe Lincoln of this show, Tristan Adelano, was saying. I fully get that. Well, there's two parts to it. One, as I said, I think they use this as a storyline developing pay-per-view, and you can't have the moments Tuesday, which we will talk about later, without what happens Sunday. Sunday was the setup. Tuesday was the delivery. They needed to fit that in there. They did. Two. By the way, that shows you the reverse, the rev- where we are in 2019, that the pay-per-views are used to set up Monday and Tuesday nights because WWE is making more money off of Monday and Tuesday well, nights than they are off of pay-per-views, which is the exact opposite of the world we grew up so, in. So, so that while that is true, I don't think it was for that reason. For me, at least, it had to do with the fact that Vince made this snap decision to have Kofi go at WrestleMania and they realized there was more story they wanted to tell there. So they had to fit it in somewhere. There's only three more episodes of SmackDown after this week to go. So they decided to do it there. That's what I think. And it goes to my point about it being a storytelling pay-per-view. If you don't like that, then you probably aren't going to like Fastlane except for the one or two good matches. But for me, that was totally fine. And I think the reason they inserted Mustafa Ali in that match, I hate to kind of spoil it for everyone. I don't think Kofi's going to win the title at WrestleMania. And I think they want the Kevin Owens, Daniel Bryan one-on-one feud to continue after that. So they didn't want to give that match away at Fastlane. That, in my mind, is why they did all of those things. Maybe I'm just trying to reason it out. And and maybe, maybe that's bad. But that's where I'm coming from. And then, so we already talked about Mustafa Ali there. The Rousey spot. I thought it was genius. Well, the pro. okay, let's add that if you're on that side of the street. And again, I'm on the entertainment side of the street. I was entertained on Sunday night. But. I mean, they telegraphed the crap out of that. And of course, yeah. And it does sort of question Ronnie's mentality if she's really all that smart. If Becky was able to kind of toy with her like this and they kind of make her look stupid, I get she turned heel, which means if you're a heel, you have something wrong with you to be that angry. But I could see why you loved it. In the end, I was fine with it. But I felt as much as I was fine with it, I could feel the cringe bubbles on the back of my neck at the same time because you're just sort of like, all right. Because what I did enjoy about it was we didn't need a Becky Charlotte marathon match. In fact, that match was very rest hold heavy, which is something we sort of teased last week saying, look, I don't need this to be a classic. I don't want this to be a classic. Save the thunder for mania. So they did that. All right. In the end, how mad can I be? We connected the dots. I'm going to choose love. I'm going to choose entertainment. But for Tristan, man, he lives this life. He's about that life. Well, but he's just a representative of literally half of the WWE fans that didn't like this. But again, if you actually break it down, it makes perfect sense. Ronda's about two things. Fighting Becky Lynch in the main event of WrestleMania. And she's been saying that. And she's been consistent about that. Okay. And two, going against the McMahons, primarily Vince McMahon, who pulled her out of that match. So in one fell swoop, She got Becky in the match with a single calculated move and 
went against Vince McMahon trying to keep her out of it. Right, but it, that's it made con- perfect but, sense to me. Okay, so it's not perfect sense though. It makes sense. It's not perfect sense. It's because, not perfect sense because this entire storyline's convoluted. No, this is why it's not perfect sense because at her core, she should be a competitor whose reason that she's in the WWE is to become the champion. Right now, she is the champion, and she just single-handedly did a move that makes her WrestleMania match twice as hard as it should be because she could have gone one-on-one with Charlotte Flair at WrestleMania, and now she's going to have to do a triple threat, which means she could lose the title and not even be involved in the pin or submission to get there. So if we're at our core that these are uh, prize fighters, that's a stupid-ass move. That's why... If you're looking at psychology, it's a little bit broken. But also, we have to play into that she's crazy right now. That's part of the psychology. But you're also forgetting the promo that preceded this, where she said, if I sneezed on either or both of them in in real life, I'd kick their ass. Like, they'd be decimated. So for her, it's not a risk, because she's so much better in non-kayfabe than both of them. It doesn't matter. She wants to beat the hell out of both of them. So... In her mentality, it makes total sense to me. And don't forget also, BC, they completely painted themselves into a corner with the storyline, with how convoluted it's gotten, with Becky's knee injury, and we'll talk about that and what happened in SmackDown, which made me laugh out loud. So the payoff of it is, hey, boom, one hit, Becky, you're in the match. And I get that people felt it was a schmoz, but you also don't want Charlotte to lose. And you don't want Becky to get a win over Charlotte four weeks before WrestleMania. So again, I was totally fine with it. Yeah, all last... right, but but you you were there's a difference between team being fine with it and calling it perfection, which you did, which does make you look like a Ronda Homer who loves anything Ronda. So it's nothing we, to do with Ronda. We got to be honest. I, about... I think it was perfect from a storyline perspective, given that they painted themselves into a corner. The best way to get out of that. Well, you just said that, and I get your stance, but ha- it wasn't for that perfect. To it wasn't perfect. You can't use was... the word perfect when when I just brought up a key counter argument to that, which half of the audience was upset about. So that can't make it perfect. My point is given the scenario, it was the perfect decision and it played out. Well, I don't know what there is to, I mean, you can, you can disagree that it was good, but good and perfect are two different things. What else would you have done? Would you have had Becky roll up Charlotte? And get a well, clean win. I think you identified. They painted themselves in a corner, and because of right. that, we couldn't have come out of their perfect. Well, we could, but we did come out of their they good. They came up and with. Again, the, let, me, let me clarify. Let me let me take the word perfect off the table. They came up with the best possible solution, given that they painted themselves into a convoluted corner. Can you agree with that? Yeah. Finally, we hedged you back into where you should be. Right. Right. <sighs> right there. Right there. Yeah. Thank you. Because you, because God forbid, you let me have an opinion otherwise. Uh, and then, well, we, I, I, every, I stand up for truth on this show, whether the bed sheets are clean or not. I, I'm going to have sure, to take a stand. Sure. All right. I mean, and then everything and then everything else on the show, BC, I just thought, as you mentioned earlier, really good match quality. And not much more than that, like the, the, the WWE championship match was awesome. Making it a triple threat made the match better. The fatal four way. Yes, it was repetitive. We just saw it on SmackDown, but it was a great was match. Great, yeah. There's really nothing to complain about. And yeah, the Oscar match was crap, but they're building a storyline there. And I don't know. Like, I, I did not hate this pay per view. I can't see how anyone hated it. I was talking to one of our former friends on uh, Twitter, and I basically said, "Look, I think the floor is a C plus, and the ceiling was a B plus." Now, you when you say former friends, what does that mean? We we we've broken. We we're not. We're no longer friends with this person. I mean, listen, you've been uh, quite angry with him for quite some time. It didn't feel resolved, but. Well, you know, maybe one day, maybe one day we'll have our we'll maybe have our one moment. day, maybe one day we'll Elizabeth, Elizabeth, <laughs> maybe we'll have that. Mo- you, that means that you're going to have to be Sherry in that relationship, by the way, hey. going through the ropes onto the floor. I'm not wearing a wig. 
Wow, wow. Now tell me who's the fruit booty. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Hey, by the way, did you see that? Uh, I don't know what that show is called on the network, but the the episode about ECW. You know what I'm talking about? I did. Untold, Untold. story. Fantastic. Fantastic. It was really good. The, the last real part, and we can kind of use this to slide into Raw, BC, from Fastlane, was the Shield main event. I really want to know what you thought about it. Um, was it correct for it to main event the show? And did you care? Um, was it correct to main event the show? I predicted it would main event the show. Yeah, but that doesn't mean it was right to do so. True, but uh, I mean, you know. would you have booked it to me? You got to understand, show? Adam. If if Adam even remotely hinted that something could happen, he'll be the first one on Twitter to be like, "I called that. I called there's that." A, there's a difference between predicting something and wanting that to happen. Did you want it to me? I'm just saying, I clearly called this, but I don't. I didn't. You, you know, did. I didn't sound the alarms. I didn't send a telegram. But it happened. Yeah. And um, answer my question. Did you like that it main evented this show? I, I just want to give you a moment to give me the credit of calling. Yeah, of course you called it. You love cool. identifying who called what. So, uh, yes, I, yes, Adam, I, I you called know what, this You know what's one. fun? I don't need to identify it anymore because when the Batista stuff happened Monday night on Raw, I got flooded with mentions. That is so true. I don't, need, I don't need to stand up and call it anymore. It's All right, good. You've, you've learned your lesson. We have like enough that. listeners now where they do it for me. It's great. I like that. I like that. Uh, so here's the deal. I get what they're doing, Okay. They're giving the Shield their moment. We talked about it last week. The Shield's not going to close the the show at Mania. It's going to be the women. So this was the Shield last time. Three of them together. Sell the T-shirts one more time. Have your moment. If Ambrose is on the fence potentially about coming back, and again, we don't know if we're getting worked or if he's going to AEW and it's going to be awesome, but if they're even on the fence in the middle, it's another reminder of what things can be like. If you're a Shield hardcore, if you are emotional about Roman Reigns having his first match coming back from cancer, which, by the way, was a great story, then I'm sure that was great for you. I didn't love it. I'm not a shield mark. I like the shield. The, the, their original rise was one of the you know biggest three or four stretches of moments in WWE over the last 10 years. It was great. But I knew what this was, and I was okay with it. But it's not for me. It was fine. It's a, it's a schmoz six-man match, and you knew the baby faces were going over. I'll give them credit. Last three, four minutes, the match did get hot. It got hot, but it's absurdly predictable. Yeah, there's some good action. They brawled outside the ring. Yeah, that's okay. It's fine. They needed they, so, they had their moment. I'll agree that it end, ended hot. The final scene was pretty good, even though Kevin Dunn missed a clear, a clear cut at the end. Um, that man will kick your ass. How dare you? But um, – Honestly, I thought it was largely garbage, and that is not necessarily a shot against any of them individually, and it's not a shot about the about the effort that was put into the match. But honestly, as a WWE viewer, I just didn't care, and I'm not the only one. BC, why don't you hit that DM sound one more time? Oh, wow, we're taking over the show. <laughs> TC Casa at TC Casa. He said, let's talk S.H.I.E.L.D. I, for one, was not into their latest reunion. I get why it happened and why the last run was stalled. This one, I didn't care. Yet WWE makes it like it's the last time ever. Relax. Even if Dean is leaving, whenever he comes back, they will run the S.H.I.E.L.D. back. They aren't even the greatest group faction ever. That's evolution. Don't at me. So there's a lot to unpack there. I agree with him completely that that's not the last time we're going to see the S.H.I.E.L.D., especially because we'll get them in the Hall of Fame. Dean will be back in WWE even if he does leave and go somewhere else for a little bit. And as soon as he comes back, it'll probably be to save Roman and or Seth, and they'll reform the Shield right away. So I didn't necessarily love any of that. 
And I didn't think the way they built towards that match was particularly good. So I want you to answer that part. And then I want you to tell me what is the greatest faction ever. And if it's evolution, like he says, it's not evolution. I like evolution a lot. Evolution also took a lot of what the great factions in history have done and sort of exactly. sort of like 2.0 next level. Like let's, you know, look, I mean, there's only so many guitar riffs you can write. Everyone sort of sounds like somebody, but no, that's not the best faction ever. Uh, what was the original question? Um, basically he doesn't think the shield is anywhere near the greatest group faction ever. Like he just doesn't, I think mean, they I compare. Think it's, it's, he thinks they made too big of a deal about it. No, I'm it's a, it's a nominee. Let's not look. I, I mean this. The time when the shield came to fruition on the main roster was really a time where I thought the main roster kind of sunk. It was kind of like terrible. the end of the punk terrible. run. There was really nothing going on to keep you there each week. It was before the rise of or it was right at the start of NXT becoming, but still a year away from NXT becoming what we know as NXT now. And that was a big deal when the Shield came. I remember not being a day-to-day fan and having wrestling fans be like, no, dude, you got to start tuning in. you got to watch these guys. They're the young. They're what's next. WWE's finally getting in on the young movement. They're not just rolling out washed old names. It meant something. Last decade, the major storylines are like Daniel Bryan's rise in 2014, CM Punk, and the Shield and the women. That's it. That's your Mount Rushmore of the biggest storylines over the last decade in WWE. So, yes, it matters. Imagine if you're young. Imagine if you were 10 years old when the Shield launched. And that's your core memory and your heart of what wrestling was. Like when I think back of WrestleManias 2 and 3 and Hogan and all that. Dude, this is iconic. It's, it's amazing. They were, I thought they were fresh for factions. We said Evolution is kind of a, a greatest hits of what factions are. Shield were a fresh new genre of it. Shield was Nirvana. Wow, that's weird, right? Shield was Nirvana. So why don't you come as you are, whoever sent that DM? No, neither of those are the greatest faction of all time. The greatest faction of all time is the Four Horsemen and get the Correct. F out of here if you think anything else. Yep. NWO, I can understand that argument, although it's it's a larger gang and it got out of control and it split. Maybe if you just want to go the first year of the NWO with the three or four originals, yes, it's right in that conversation. But get out of here. I know, uh, you know, Flair plays up evolution a lot, but the Four Horsemen is is the blueprint of what we know great factions to be. And I got my own favorites that the the. the uh, the 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 uh sorry where, where am I going I'm all over the place there uh you know Michael Hayes Terry Gordy Buddy Roberts the Freebirds I there's a lot of factions I love but no yeah Shield may not be in that three or four pantheon but let's not act like they're not major well let's also not confuse groups and factions because they're three they're a group or a team uh, nah, as a are faction, the Freebirds no. it's four yeah, were the four I mean four yeah, that's your choice one. your choice to draw that line in the sand it is. in reality the Shield's a faction let's be honest. Their group, uh, the Four Horsemen, are the best faction of all time, as you said. Evolution in kayfabe, you may consider the best faction of all time because of all the titles they won, the championships, the pedigrees, and what everyone did when they splintered off. There really are no other factions like Evolution in that everyone was a world cha- was either before or after a world champion. Most had mid-card titles, and everyone, I think, at least had some point of a tag team championship. So... From a success standpoint, evolution is up there. But yeah, it's the Four Horsemen for me, always will be. And I agree with you. The NWO kind of, once they got that fourth member and became a faction and started moving on, that that second half of that first year was really super strong. And DX was great too. The Shield just, you know, regardless of my definition of a faction or not, they just don't come close for fans that have seen all those other ones. But BC, you made a great point. If you're 10, 12, 15 years old, that's what you got in WWE because they haven't given us the factions that we crave. 
and they're really the, the closest thing really to it that we've had. Well, so I think that's family a had a hot run. Let's not forget, yeah. man. Why did they have to blow that thing up? Just F you. F you. Okay. So I just want so I want to move this forward because while I thought the shield at Fastlane was largely garbage, on Raw, it was incredible. And they played out moving what they played out the reasoning for putting that in the main event. Fantastic to open Raw. And then especially at the end of Raw, having Roman Reigns get absolutely blindsided by Dean Ambrose, concussed with, I think, one or two. Um, what's the kick? I'm Claymore, I'm, second one, face Claymore. first. Yeah, Claymore kick. Um, and then having Dean Ambrose get so enraged that he steps in demands a no-holds-barred match, and then himself gets his ass knocked out by, Dean, by uh, Drew McIntyre. Brian, that's great. Not good. That's great booking. They not only succeeded in having Reigns look vulnerable coming back off leukemia, they made McIntyre look like an absolute monster. And at least to me, it seems they wrote Dean Ambrose off permanently. I don't know about permanently, but everything else you said, I am with you. And if you don't think that the booking on Monday on Raw in this chapter wasn't top shelf, wasn't A++, you're wrong. I'm going to go as far as to hit you with this. Oh, yeah. Feel that. Feel all of that. Guys, this is what we have deserved of how Drew McIntyre should be treated. He was propped up to a level at the end of that Ziggler run where it's like the same place Braun Strowman was a year ago, where it's like, yes, put him in the title feud now or fire him because anywhere else in between is a fail, a waste of what you've done with him, and you can't get any better than this. I didn't think they could get any better than that. They reminded us on Monday they could get better than that. That's how you book a heel, especially a guy you call a psychopath. That's perfection. Put him over Reigns and Ambrose that violently? Are you kidding me? If this is being set up for Rollins winning the championship at Mania and spinning right off into a four or five month feud with McIntyre that maybe culminates at SummerSlam, are you kidding me? Stick it right in me, right? In, well, well, hold on, hold on. Let me, let me. That let me, better get me, added to the board. That <laughs> needs to get let added to the board. That you know, that's a piece of meat. I, I, I will not. I will not allow, yeah. Wow, wow! I hit the wrong button. I will there. not allow you to get away with not adding that to the. Board. I don't know wh- where we went with that. Wow, wow! Just whip it out. No, just keep it in. Okay. Um, this is incredible. <laughs> <That one too. laughs> and you know the state. Do you know what kind of stain comes on wrestlers when you book them lazy? When you do this League of Nations 2.0, negative 2.0 crap they've done with Lashley and Corbin. The word if. WWE comes out next week, and Baron Corbin is not even on the same screen as Drew McIntyre. If he's in the same building as Drew McIntyre, (laughs) then what they've done Monday night would be a fail, okay? It's not that Baron Corbin sucks, okay? It's not that he should be waiting tables at a TGI Fridays. It's none of that. Baron Corbin's fine. He, in fact, once gave us one of the best promos ever. And you can cry, 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 and I'll buy a boat. And float down the river of your tears. So don't forget that that guy can do things, but right now... He's just a, a weight to add on. Get him the hell away from Drew McIntyre. Continue to push this guy as a psychopath. Give him a mania match against either Ambrose or Reigns or Reigns. Ambrose and have Reigns help out or whatever the plan is. The thing, Here's the key. 
They got me needing to know what the plan is. I care about this now. This match, whatever it's going to end up looking like at Mania, has juice behind it. In fact, I'm so juiced, I might juice. I might blade watching this match. I'm so damn fired (laughs) up, all right? Yes, I need this. I want this. That was vicious. Adam, that was strong style personified. Ambrose took a damn beating, and you know he loved it because that's the kind of stuff Ambrose loves doing. When they trapped his head in that guardrail and gave that second Claymore kick, I rewound it like 17 times. I think he took that that crap flush. He took that ish flush, Adam. Flush! Yeah. It was incredible, and that's exactly the point. First of all, I, there's no way it's Ambrose McIntyre. They're going to go Reigns McIntyre at WrestleMania BC, and it's going to be incredible, and I pray to God that McIntyre wins. Because there's such a better story that you can tell in McIntyre beating up Reigns. And I said this when when Reigns came back from leukemia and we had this conversation on this show. What I said was they need to make him look weak. They can't keep booking him as this dominant guy who beats everyone, never loses. And even if he does like take a little bit of a step back, always comes over the top and eventually wins. He needs to lose at WrestleMania because the redemption story hasn't been told with him. Yes, he beat cancer. That's fantastic in real life. But on WWE TV, he needs to get back to the championship picture. And the way you do that is having the guy who always main events WrestleMania, not main event WrestleMania, and lose his match and have that guy and Drew McIntyre go and, like you said, BC, start a feud with Rollins immediately after WrestleMania, lose to Rollins, and then gets into it with Reigns. Reigns goes over him, and now you have a nice storyline. I thought it was expertly done. And whether they wrote Ambrose off permanently – or just until Mania for a potential run-in, a save, something like that, if he does leave, if Dean Ambrose is leaving WWE, the perfect way to do it is to have him win the match with the Shield and then have the no-holds-barred match that he loves defending his brother and then get take two, three Claymores basically on the stage and get injured and be out and not be mentioned again. It's a great way to write him off. Or if we believe that it's all BS, which we keep talking about on this show, it's a great way to make fans think you're writing. All right, I got to stop you there. Uh, and bring him most back. of what you said was right. But, dude, Roman Reigns not losing at WrestleMania to Drew McIntyre. He needs to. So I, I, look, he okay, I get your sort of hipster way of booking that. It's not going to happen. They got him back from cancer. It's not going to happen. Do you know what is going to happen? I'm not predicting. I'm telling you what should happen. Okay, but what is going to happen is that is it, that's the way Ambrose is going to go out, like you mentioned, probably with 17 Claymore kicks. He, they might actually behead him, and that's the way he's going to go out, and he's going to leave the company. But let's not forget one key part of Monday night, the playing up and into that Roman Reigns may have concussion issues from those Claymore kicks, yeah. that he's talking yeah. about a headache, that he's dizzy, that he's wobbling and that Ambrose was so quick to get his brothers back, we're heading toward Ambrose with injured Reigns in his corner because it's going to be easy for Ambrose to take the loss. You don't sacrifice a mania loss to Reigns. I'm not saying Reigns is going to build an Undertaker streak. but Wait, I'm so saying, are, you saying, are you saying Reigns isn't going to have a match at WrestleMania? Yes, I'm saying he's going to be in his brother's corner. He may have a part. I'm not trying to repredict the WrestleMania 4 main event altogether where Reigns is going to come in with a chair and hit it to the back of uh, Lesnar and give Reigns, give Rollins the win, and then we're going to do a complete, uh, un, you know, mega powers exploding in my pants type deal as much as I'd love that. But mega powers are about to explode in my pants right now. But we're going to get to a mega powers Reigns Rollins over the next years and a year and it's going to be awesome and the ro- to set that up, Reigns cannot have a monster match at Mania. Ambrose is taking the fall. Reigns will be hurt. Eventually Reigns will say, okay Seth, I need you to get revenge. I need you to get my back. And then through that, 
you'll start to see the disrepair there between Reigns and Rollins. Mm. Reigns will see that Rollins has now is now sleeping in in his bed, so to speak. He's taken over his lady, and that lady is the Universal Championship and the number one booking and the top of the pops. And then we're going to get some drama. Then we're going to get some action. <laughs> then eventually WrestleMania 36 in Tampa, we're getting Reigns, Rollins in the main event, and it's that... going to be fan friggin' tastic. Wow. Wow. Uh, that, sh- that should be the main event of Mania 36, no question about it. Um, but I disagree. I-, I-, I don't see them leaving Reigns out of a WrestleMania match. There's four weeks until the show. Plenty of time for him to re- recover from his concussion without wrestling week to week. Uh, and I don't necessarily see what leg Dean Ambrose has to stand on to demand another match after he just got his ass kicked in a match that he demanded in no holds barred. That just doesn't make sense to me. Well, I don't know if you if you're new to WWE booking, but the the hurdle you just presented could easily <laughs> be cleared. Gen- generally true, but on the road to WrestleMania, they try to normally clean things up. BC, we have a lot of show left, but before we get to it, first a quick word from our friends and sponsors. Okay, BC, rolling on here. We had Batista show up for that face-to-face that really wasn't a face-to-face with Triple H on Monday Night Raw. Wait, wait would you go as far as, as uh, saying? Nothing face-to-face. Yeah. Nothing face-to-face. Nothing face-to-face. Right? I mean, that's what men do. That That's what men do. Uh, and even though the Silver King does not need to bury Horowitz himself on this one, Boy, oh boy, did I call that confrontation with the suited security. Batista looked like a total G coming out of that limo SUV, whatever the hell it was. Um, so I thought they, wa- you know, when he when he made his entrance, I thought it was actually kind of down a little bit. It was kind of not as lively as I expected. And once he got out there and he started talking, I was like, all right, this is going somewhere. But BC, I, I got to be honest, for as pumped up as I was, for Triple H Batista last week, the, com- the the repetitiveness of give me what I want, is that what you want? That's not what I want. Like, it really soured me on this a little bit. Wow, wow. I did a spoiler alert. Did not see that coming. Um, I'm fired up about this. There, I'm not saying there's no issues with it, but I'm saying overall, Batista with the security guards, with the shiny jacket, with the pompous attitude, with the blue Batista sunglasses and, no- and uh, nose, nose ring, ring. Yeah. overall fired up intensity between the two fired up the fact that they didn't touch and Batista walked away and they stuck to the script which is he's wanted this match for so long he's wanted to have control throughout a run where he didn't have any control if you really think about it I mean he was thought he was going to be presented a certain way the last time and the fans turned on him so there there is a perceived lack of control there so you can understand in storyline the idea of how this match may have come together Loved the intensity, love where it's going, still in line to be my second or third most anticipated match on the card. And I mean that. And I, and again, I think that's still shocking to say because I think it was six months ago we mentioned the idea of Batista coming back. And we're like, if he comes back, he probably has to fight wrestle trips. And nobody wants that. And it's going to be another <laughs> trip sting, but it's going to be worse. And Hogan won't show up to save the day and all this other stuff. Th- they got me. I'm in. I want it. But. But. But, and let me throw to some sound here. Give me what I want. Give me what I want. Let me hear you say it. Everybody here wants to hear you say it. Give me what I want. You know what I want. You just don't want to give it to me because you're not in control. I'm in control. Now, Hunter, give me what I want. I am. 
That was basically the whole segment was that ad nauseum. So that's I get what, I'm what saying. you're saying. That's what I'm talking about. And if I had any problem with it, it's that Trips kind of played himself. It's it's almost like this was a bad script, bad story that they overachieved with, and they just sweated up and, and intensified it up. And end of the end of it, I'm still where I need to be. But for Trips to not understand in kayfabe that Batista was doing all this for a WrestleMania match, and then to just devolve into give me what I want, no. Give me what I want. No, it was lame. That's what I'm getting at. I'm not trying to say that, like, I'm not excited for the match. The segment really sucked. Like, the the thesis of it, which we broke down last week, was there. Batista, like you said, wanting to be in control of the situation, wanting his match at WrestleMania, playing into the real life that he's been asking WWE for this for two years. But he keeps telling him, give me what I want. After saying it twice, and he says, well, what do you want? I want a match with you at WrestleMania. (laughs) Why did it take him seven minutes into this promo to tell the audience what he wants? We know because we're smarts, because we read the interviews with him. But if you're a regular WWE fan, you don't know that Batista's been necessarily in media interviews saying, the only way I want to come back to WWE is a match with Triple H at WrestleMania, and they haven't let me do it. So you don't know. So the whole crowd is like, what do you want? Like, like, we know it's probably WrestleMania, but why don't you tell us? And it took them until the very end of the program to get that out. And when I said program, I meant promo. But yeah, I mean, it was it was a little bit lame. But I, I thought again, I thought they overachieved with bad story. I'm in it when they're both sweating and spitting, and man, Batista doing a lot of spitting there. So you know what? It's no holds barred, and that's what it should be. It should be two old guys brawling. Let's hope they have some surprises for us. So what I mean by that is Flair obviously involved. I don't expect Orton to be involved, so it's not going to be a full evolution rewind because he's going to have uh, other matters to attend to. But give me some other kind of surprise in how this match is presented. Very similar, again, to Triple H Sting, how they made that a epic. Really, they made it an epic match in the end with the with the run-ins and, and the added to the storyline parts. But um, yeah, I, I, look, the, the whole point is I'm still where I need to be. So that's fine. I overcame that cheesiness, but again, for Trips to be like, why didn't you just ask? You know, it's like, really, really, Chips? Like, I, now, that, now that said, two things, BC. I love that they added the, is it no holds barred technically? Is that what they're calling it? Yes. Stip- stipulation. I thought that was really smart because it gets to hide some of, you know, Batista's ring rust and Triple H kind of being hurt, not able to do his full moveset. I thought that was smart. And Triple H, let's give him credit. He delivered one of the best lines of the year already coming out coming out of the best promo of the year last week i will tear my way through the guardians of the independent scene or whatever they are just calling out that the hired security are independent wrestlers like they always are that's such good fourth wall breaking i love that it was awesome yeah and that's part of why i think overall this was a success and in triple h's little one-liners about you know what you are a nose ring model all that stuff it's yeah working. yeah it's working they're getting us there again don't touch don't touch until we need to keep it moving i'm with you on that Okay, we got more to talk about in this main event, and I want to move on next, if it's okay, with the man whose name's on the marquee, to this Kofi Kingston build. We already talked about it a little bit at Fastlane. I thought it was a success. I know others don't. But, dude, that face-to-face, they went face-to-face between Kofi Kingston, New Day, and Vince McMahon to end SmackDown was freaking awesome. Yeah, it it was awesome. Look, using Vince in there was key. The line about... Backstage, Dan O'Brien called you a B plus player. It's just it's incredible. Brilliant. Yeah. It's brilliant coming back around the horn. It's there's an irony in there. It's just amazing. That look, all that was great. And I think whatever you you may not have liked about Monday during this segment, you had to come back around. 
even to the point of what Biggie and Kofi and Woods were really, really, really trying to get at. There is no racism here in the World Wrestling Federation. We don't allow it. We'll allow it under any circumstances. And that's the bottom line. And one part of me is fired up and bells and whistles are going off that they touched that, that it made it part of the storyline, that because of the way I look and all of that, that you won't give me the push. I, I really think they should have went further with it. And I know it's a, it's a dangerous area to go because then it's bringing that attention on yourself. So maybe Correct. in the end, just that we got this was a major victory for us Smarks because anytime they're turning it into a real-life storyline is amazing. And anytime they're turning it back to make fun of themselves, which sometimes they do, or, or to call out their own you know inefficiencies there, it, it worked out well. Here's where I got to really put it back on you and ask you this, okay? Through that Vince speech, they had me. But it, what's not sitting well with me, Adam, and it goes back to what we're saying about lazy rehashing the Daniel Bryan 2014 run altogether. So next week, we're going to have a gauntlet match. And if you win this gauntlet match, you're in the match. Like, to get to this point, yeah. whether WWE had this plan all along or Kofi was so organically over in such an amazing way that they got, they er- they got the eraser out and they penciled it back in, I'm going, to, I'm going to pause you. That's exactly what they did. This was not the plan. Okay. Whether you believe reports or not, there's no way that this, as, as it's transpiring, was the plan because Mustafa Ali was in that match and he got hurt. So there's no way. Okay. Well, guess what? What won us over on this Kofi storyline was the fact that he's already had to do this impossible journey, number 16 seed in the, in the March Madness bracket, and already win basically a gauntlet type match and then go into elimination chamber and which is basically a gauntlet match in some weird way and run it through all the way. So to run back that story, unless they have an incredible swerve waiting for us, unless maybe Kofi mania isn't a thing and there's some weird swerve where he doesn't get there, but then he comes back at mania to haunt Vince in the match. I don't know. There's ways you can go, but if the only way you can go is 2014 Daniel Bryan booking, and this is the setup to get there. I have to say this is wow. All right. You can put a damper on it, but it doesn't change the crowd reaction. The crowd is reacting so positively towards Kofi that is this the best possible booking? Probably not. Should it have been maybe a one-on-one match with Randy Orton where you got to beat a guy who's been a multi-time champion? And then even if you involve AJ Styles to continue that feud and help Kofi and it still works out, that's fine. Yes, having him go through this type of gauntlet and basically saying you need to beat every single one of these people, it's a tough ask. But what they've set up here is what I kind of just laid out. They have him getting his win back over the individual members of the bar for what happened at the pay-per-view. They have the opportunity for him to get a a clean win over Randy Orton, a multi-time WWE champion, and have AJ Styles probably interfere in some way to help develop that storyline, right? And then you have Samoa Joe, who's the new United States champion, and he's a, a formidable opponent, and that's a legitimate clean win for Kofi. Kofi did beat Daniel Bryan in a tag team match, and I think he pinned him to start that gauntlet, uh, the first one. But besides that, let's not forget, he lost Elimination Chamber and ended that losing clean to Daniel Bryan, and he lost that gauntlet, the first one, ultimately. So if you're Vince, you can kind of say you really haven't earned your, your way into a WrestleMania match for the WWE Championship, and it kind of works, but more than any of that, BC. I like that they're giving Daniel Bryan booking to a guy who's going against Daniel Bryan. The B-plus player stuff, as you mentioned, I hope Daniel Bryan comes out next week and says, Kofi, you winning this gauntlet is not best for business. Like, 
it, it's such a good tie-in to the Daniel Bryan storyline. And that Daniel Bryan, he's not really a corporate champion, but he's becoming everything that he hated, right? By calling someone else a B-plus player, by saying they're not best for business. So that dichotomy, that juxtaposition is the better word between the old Daniel Bryan and the new Daniel Bryan and Kofi Kingston, who's kind of like the old Daniel Bryan, the underdog. I really love it. And just one quick thing, because you mentioned it. I popped massively when Kofi said, people like me don't get this opportunity. They didn't say it was about race, but that you knew that's what they were mentioning, right? Because this title has been around since 1963. There's been 50 champions, and one of them has been black. That's it. Who are we, who are we going the with list. the one has been black? Are we going with The, the Rock? Rock? Yeah. Because I'm the just one. saying there's some people that, that – that Okay, we're not getting into that. That's ridiculous. Okay, his father's an African-American. No, um, I, I'm not getting into a, a race or debate with you of is he is quarter black all the way black. I'm not doing anything gross or, or ridiculous like that. I'm just saying that when you see these lists or these this stat reference, some people count the rock and some people don't because he's yeah, anyone who doesn't count him is, is ridiculous. But the, the the bigger point, though, is it doesn't matter if it's zero or one. I actually someone tweeted this at me. It doesn't matter if there's been zero or one black WWE champion. There's been one since 1963. There's been 50 people that have held the title. It's time for number two. And that has nothing to do with, you know, Kofi being a placeholder for that. He, as Kofi Kingston, no matter his race, no matter his color, his creed, deserves it based on being this fantastic wrestler in WWE who's always had the fans behind him and has legitimately, in real life, never gotten the opportunity. Now they're doing it in real life and in kayfabe. I'm pumped, man. I, you know I've been pushing this Kofi Kingston thing since the second he got added, uh, since he was in that gauntlet match, since he got added to the Elimination Chamber. I'm all in, and I want the women to main event WrestleMania. But if you told me Daniel Bryan and Kofi Kingston main evented WrestleMania, I would be all in for it because if they gave him the title, as I've said, the place will explode. Which is a copyrighted, patented statement. So I don't want to hear that analysis anywhere else. Um, I still, I don't mean to sound like Vince McMahon. I thought it was brilliant the way he said it, the, telling Kofi, you're just not that material, but I still don't think Kofi's, uh, main event title level worthy, but I think the organic pops mixed with how fun this ride has been has all come together where I would certainly accept it and be excited for it. And yes, I bought all in on it. But I still think at its core, though, I don't. when you said he deserves it, I don't necessarily think just because he's been in the company 11 years that he necessarily deserves a WWE championship feud. Uh, again, if, if they're taking advantage of it because of the pops and it's a feel-good story, that's great. But I, I, I do kind of disagree with the idea that 100% he deserves this. But I will say... You got to pick your non-negotiables, which gets you mad. That's the same argument again with me deciding last week that, look, I'm in on the women because I know the end game. I know how it's going to end. and It's going to be great. I love a happy ending. So do I, Bobby. So I know it. But maybe this is the hill I'm willing to die on. Again, going back to a gauntlet match, it, it's not just that's the same thing Daniel Bryan had to do by beating Trips at Mania on the same night as he won the title. But that's what Kofi Kingston already had to do. And I know you said he didn't actually win those matches, but... We already saw that. We've already seen that. So yeah, it's it's a little sloppy. Yeah, I don't disagree. It's not perfect, but I, it's. I wonder if there's a good swerve in there. I wonder if he gets screwed by Vince in the end of the gauntlet match, right, in some form, and then over the next few weeks he's able to outsmart Vince. In some <laughs> there's way. only three weeks. They got to advertise a mania match. They I got, know, but in the next three weeks, some way outsmart Vince and get himself back into a play-in match that would get him to it, or get himself, or haunt Vince and screw up the match. I don't know. Some. I hope that there's next level 
writing coming when up. You, when you talk about deserving or not deserving something, I want to clarify. He doesn't deserve it just because he's been there 11 years. He deserves it because he's damn good. And he's almost had that opportunity in that Randy Orton feud that we've mentioned before where they just kind of stopped pushing him after that despite him delivering good promos and looking great in the ring. Let's not forget, Mustafa Ali had a WWE Championship match before Kofi Kingston. Or guys like R-Truth have had WWE Championship feuds, okay? So this is a guy who has the talent and ability and deserves by basis of having all of those things to be put in this type of position. People say Cesaro deserves championship opportunities. The guy's great in the ring. He can't cut a promo, right? They lack these, all these other guys lack things. Kofi doesn't. He just has never been given the opportunity to do these things. So it's more about opportunity, not deserving. This is an opportunity that he should have. And I'm wait, excited wait, that he's getting you, are you trying? Are you saying, and again, not against Kofi, are you saying that Kofi cuts a great promo? I thought that promo was great on Tuesday. I agree and if you've seen any of his good. backstage promos that they've put on social media since this run has began, they've all been great. I'm just saying I think Kofi was the perfect anchor in addition to the New Day and at the beginning of the New Day gave them credibility because of his name. Agreed. But I think the New Day helps add to his legacy more than he helps add to the New Day's legacy well, in the end. And we, we had the conversation that Vince mentioned. Didn't you and I say, like, will Kofi Kingston get into the Hall of Fame twice? And I think you and I agreed the first time he gets in, it will be with New Day. Yes. And he may end up getting in twice because they feel like they need to get as many people in different categories to kind of sum, to kind of make up for the fact that they have not been diverse over well, their history. Uh, ex okay, but excuse me. If Rikishi is in the Hall of Fame, a guy who's made like a dozen memorable Royal Rumble moments. Right, which is the difference between— Intercontinental and tag team titles. He deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Right, which is the solo. whole argument— yeah. Of Hall of Fames that don't have real credibility, like the UFCs, like like the Pro Basketball Hall of Fame, which isn't the NBA Hall of Fame. It's different. Right. Or, right. I'm sorry, not Pro Bas. You know the the whatever. Yeah, the other way. Um. In yeah. in yeah, it's it's a difference between deserve it and and what will actually happen. But yeah, look, Kofi Mania, let's keep it going. But have something different for us, WWE. Mix the crap up. All right, let's roll. Yeah. All right. Ronda Rousey, Charlotte Flair, Becky Lynch. We already talked about what happened at Fastlane Monday and Tuesday night. Did they do enough? to fix the storytelling. Uh, they didn't break it any worse. They didn't overall improve it, but I thought Monday was good. Rousey doubled down on being a heel, and I thought it was quick and very effective and very powerful. And I don't have the sound in front of me at the moment, but her calling the crowd bitches and her throwing in those little jabs. Look, this is what we asked for. This is what we wanted. Her delivering a promo, I have to realize, is never going to be perfect. And that wasn't perfect. Some of her timing and cadence was off. But overall, it was effective. This is what we want. We want Heel Rousey. And, man, she's actually taking it next level in certain categories. The way that she's I mean, calling WWE carny clowns or whatever she called them. I mean, it's getting good. So, yeah, I think from a Rousey standpoint, we're all into where we need to be. From a Charlotte Flair standpoint, we're all in. I thought the little back and forth she had with uh, Becky Lynch on Tuesday, while not spectacular, was a, a really nice, let's let's slow down the momentum of the journey. Let's add a little bit more storyline color in there and add a little bit more context, and it'll make things in the end feel better. So not too big of a leap, certainly not a backward step, but <laughs> I don't mean to hedge myself here because I've been trying to tell oh, you that. here we go. I've been trying to tell you that I just, I just feel good about the happy ending we're going to get. I feel good about where we're going, but you referenced it a couple times. The, the knee injury angle is like... It's bad. 
we didn't have to go there, and now we're kind of overplaying it a little bit. And yes, if you put a gun to my head, overall, has it watered down? I think this is the debate. It hasn't watered down my overall expectations and feel for the feud involving three people, but has it watered down where Becky Lynch could be right now individually, considering she was on an Austin-like run, and how many times have we actually used that term since Austin? Yeah, it they've watered her down. And, and you could give your reasons why internally, externally, but it's true. It's true. Yeah, and that's what I said last week. They've just completely cooled her down. Now, to be fair, I thought Tuesday night, she was fantastic. I thought she got back a lot of what she had lost with that promo that she cut, uh, basically saying that she was in Ronnie's head and all of that, you know, kind of exp- she Becky did a better job. Becky and Rhonda on Tuesday and Monday, respectively, did a better job explaining what happened Sunday than Sunday night did on its standing on its own. They made the Sunday night angle make sense, at least to me. I thought Rhonda's promo for the second straight week was strong. If she just slows down, it be, it goes from a B to an A. But it was a solid B promo from her. Charlotte was very good. I thought Becky Lynch gave an A promo on SmackDown and is not back where she was. But she got that confidence back. And I laughed out loud when she's standing on the ramp and just drops the crotch. Like, all right, this knee injury, this angle's done. And she limped to the ring, yeah, and she sold that. But, like, I wouldn't be surprised if two weeks from now the limp's gone and they're just moving on from it. Because the, the knee for all the suspension angles. And she mentioned those too. I was suspended and then I was back and then I was suspended for 60 days. And then I was back. Like she basically put forth all of the complaints that you, I, and everyone else watching has had with the storyline. So they kind of put it all out there and they kind of said, all right, screw all of that. We're three weeks away from WrestleMania. Let's get to it. And that's why I loved it. I was really happy with it. And I hope they don't kind of play this knee injury in anymore. I don't want any more suspensions. Let's get to, all three of these women being badasses and this being an awesome WrestleMania main. Yeah. Can we get, can we have more talking, less fighting? Can we have a three-way debate on raw one night? You know, can we get really, let's start, you know, contracts. Let's, let's play the whole stereotypical build to a big mania match. And let's enjoy the moments because if we can get Cena versus reigns, like talking now, let's do it. That's going to fire us up. Now, before we move on, just since it's not in the rest of the show, SmackDown women's angle, with Oscar, Mandy Rose, Sonya Deville, do you feel any way, one way or the other about this? Are you asking me if my if, if the needle is moving? No, no, I don't. I don't. You know, as long as Oscar's not losing her title to to anyone, then look, they're gonna break up uh, what's left of Absolution, Fire and Ice, whatever you want to call them. Yeah, all of a sudden they're named Fire and Fury. I've never heard that before. Yeah, uh, if you don't have a T-shirt made, it didn't actually happen. Um, no, I don't care. I don't care. Look, it's fine. I like trying. They're, they're testing the waters on Mandy Rose. And, and I'll say she's passing. She's not yeah. elite title level, but you, she's passable in this area. So it's working out. But still, we're dealing with this uh, Lacey Evans crap. Like, at least, by the way, on Raw, she did something this week, which was getting Renee Young's face and block her face, which was pretty okay, good. There's, there's some flavor there. So I, I'll, I'll take it. And but. she didn't show up on Tuesday. It was the best week of Lacey Evans that we've had yet. It was oh my awesome. God. By the way, speaking of people that just run in, can we can we end the, the Samoa Joe or not Samoa Joe? Sorry, the No Way Jose era. Now that he's got the green braid, like end yeah. it, please end it. Just like, Future, fe- it, it, listen. I know they use him for house shows and stuff. That's where he should stay. It's fine. Uh, we don't need to see him again. One other thing that we're not going to touch on. I just want to make sure I bring it up. Shelton Benjamin, uh, Paul Heyman, and Seth Rollins. Did you like that? No. Uh, the match wasn't bad, but no, this exposed what, look, it's, it's mania season. 
Uh, where's Brock? Where's, the entire Brock segment Lesnar? can't be built around Brock's coming next week. The segment needs Brock now. It's time. No more. It's just not the same, especially Mania season without him. Uh, it's a good use of Shelton Benjamin. Yes, the match. It wasn't. It wasn't awful. Obviously, it was. It, you know, it was a good match. But to see him just randomly show up, and I get that they have a, a connection back to when they started. But they didn't but, explain it until after the fact. Yeah, but it, no, no, no. Sorry. All right, BC. Well, we got a big guest here, don't we? Yeah, you're damn right we do. Mustafa Ali, who I'm going to tell you, from finding out we're going to get him to the end of wrapping up the interview with him, I'm really impressed by who this person is, the real-life person. You're going to hear a lot of the real-life person here. I think that you really need to take into account how meteoric his rise has been in a short period of time, which we'll get into him with him in a second. Uh, there's a certain... There's certain WWE superstars that when we get the chance to meet the real person and talk to them, you fall in love with them. They're charismatic. They're real. Becky Lynch, the real person. Rebecca Quinn, great example of that, right? We've talked about it. Roman Reigns, great dude. Mustafa Ali, Abdul Alam, great dude, Adam. People are going to find that out right now. I'm all in on his journey. Here it is. Coming at you. So pleased to welcome in on the podcast one of my favorite WWE superstars, Mustafa Ali, who has made one heck of a fun rise from the land of cruiserweights to prime time on SmackDown and beyond. Mustafa, pleasure for us to have you on the show, man. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm excited. Of course, there's a real man behind the Mustafa Ali character. Adil Alam is the day-to-day man, and I gotta gotta say... Caught this new episode of The Secret Life of Muslims, which you can check out Wednesday. And this is a really cool story and message you're putting out there. This is the first episode of season two, of course, of this Emmy and Peabody Award nominated docuseries highlighting the real stories of Muslims in America and, of course, released by Gizmodo Media Group. This episode is going to be ready Wednesday, like I mentioned, on the Splinter Facebook page and also on the Secret Life of Muslims Facebook page. And uh, I got to start right here, Mustafa. I love your backstory of the pressures you felt when you first became an independent wrestler to automatically, by default, be a villainous character and a representative of your culture in a negative way. How cool is it for you to be able to break that stereotype? Yeah, I mean, you know, to backtrack a little bit, this is all going on when I'm 16 years old, you know? Like, I'm a kid, you know, trying to chase his dream. And the first decision I have to make is, do I cave in to these preconceived ideas and notions about what a guy that looks like me and has a name like mine is supposed to be in the world of pro wrestling? You know, it, it was a very weird time for me uh, because, you know, I was in high school when 9-11 happened. And I, I, I immediately felt the disconnect, like that I'm not one of us, you know? I mean, I was born and raised in Chicago, but somehow suddenly felt very alienated um so yeah it was a very like uh um tough kind of like thought-provoking time for me uh so you know as any 16 year old that you know loves his what he wants to do and has a passion and a dream i i opted to not get into all of that and i actually took a step back and i put put on a mask and i try to present myself as a luchador or someone with hispanic heritage you know and i try to wrestle under that guy's Obviously, you know, it's kind of it's kind of cool that 16 years later now, I am able to, you know, portray this character in WWE and very proudly able to say, you know, where I'm from and what my name is and what my religion is. And there's no uh, backlash or, you know, hesitation from me or anything like that. So it's very cool uh, 
16 years later, you know, I can finally do that on a bigger stage. That's so cool, man. And it's like, you know, you come from a background, I believe, of, of Pakistani descent and Indian descent. And there's Correct. natural sort of, uh, like we mentioned, like villainous characters that a lot of people from that background have had to play. Or, or I don't know about have to play, but it seems to be yeah. the most money-making through the, you know, political turns of history in the past 20, 30 years of the business. Uh, how amazing or, or how much of a dream have you had in your heart to – to, to be a hero, to be something completely different. Was yeah. that, how and much honestly, were you? I think it's something much, uh, much bigger than just, you know, pro wrestling and, and the industry that I work in. It's across all media. You know, you look at uh, Hollywood movies and all that stuff. Like there's not the Muslim hero. There's not the guy, again, that looks like me or has a name like mine that's portrayed in a positive manner or in a leading role or anything like that. So growing up, I didn't have a, a role model that looked like me. And I, uh, I remember uh, one kid coming up to me after a show, and he's of uh, South East, Southeast Asian descent, uh, just like myself. And he's like, it's very cool that I have heroes that I look up to, but he's like, there's something about it just being easier to look up to someone when they look just like you. And like, I don't know why that just really resonated with me. Like, I, I never thought of myself as, you know, being in this position or anything like that. But I realized, like, I'm that hero that I didn't have when I was a kid, you know, to somebody else. So it's, it's very, very cool. That, that's really cool. And what do you hope, what, what kind of message do you hope to put out there in terms of being on the show, The Secret Life of Muslims, which really takes such a cool first-person look at, at what you're going through as the real man? Yeah, you know, there's plenty of misconceptions and there's plenty of opinions out there. And I'm not out there to, to change anyone's mindset about, you know, life or, you know, everyone thinks if you're talking to a Muslim, they, they're going to try to convert you or this, like, what I want to do is I want to strip away all the notions, all the preconceived ideas. And I just want people to know there really is no difference between you and I, us and them. We're all the same. We all bleed the same blood. We all have the same soul. We all have the same organ. You know what I mean? Like to me, I see no lines in the sand whatsoever. So my biggest message to everyone is like, we truly are one. And the minute you see me as the person and not just as a Muslim, when you see me at the deal, I'm not just, you know, this, 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 uh, this character on TV. When you, when you see past all of that, we're, we're all the same. We're all just one. So that, that's my message. That's my goal. That's my motto. When you were watching, uh, you know, some of the way that, that, that characters were, were presented from the Iron Sheik to Muhammad Hassan. I mean, is this something that even as a kid watching wrestling that, 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 I don't know, angered you or made you uncomfortable? No, I mean, you know, I, I think with the Iron Sheik, I was just young, and, you know, that was just, oh, he's, he's, because, again, when I was young, I go, I'm American, you know, I'm not, I'm not the evil foreigner, I was born and raised in Chicago, and, you know, so to me, I didn't identify with the Iron Sheik as, like, oh, that's one of us, to me, he was the bad guy, because he was the bad guy, because he's not from here, it's because that's what my mindset was at, you know, six or seven, eight years old. Um, with Muhammad Hassan, it was very unique, because I was, you know, a, you know, obviously a bit older, but the way Muhammad Hassan was originally portrayed in WWE was actually accurate. You know, he came out and he talked about, you know, discrimination he would face at the airport and how his uncle, uh, you know, can no longer get work. And this, and he was bringing up real stuff that was happening in America at the time. And because it made people feel uncomfortable, they booed him, you know, and obviously he was a jerk about how he went about things and how he said it. But, 
on the context, on the surface of it, what he was saying was accurate. So I kind of like understood the character a little bit more because I was going through the same things, obviously. But like initially, like no, I wasn't offended by the Muhammad stuff here. Obviously, things took a turn for the worse when you know he started having guys come out with ski masks and stuff like that. Uh, but the the initial character, I thought the base of the character was actually brilliant because he was addressing a real life issue that was going on not not just in the country but in the world. Yeah, that's really interesting stuff, and I like in the. In your episode of The Secret Life of Muslims, when you talk about early in your career being Prince Mu- Prince Mustafa, correct? That, w- that was your earlier incarnation? Yeah, yeah the, 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 early, the early version of this character is Prince Mustafa Ali, which was kind of, uh, you know, the original idea was just to do the typical foreigner, you know, the typical foreigner bad guy gimmick uh, where, you know, I'm from Saudi Arabia, which I'm not. Uh, I'm from Saudi Arabia and, you know, I'm an evil prince that, you know, whatever. And I, I hated it, you know, and I, you know, Muhammad Hassan was actually kind of an inspiration to kind of like turn it around in that sense, because I just started changing things about how I uh, talked to the audience. I just started stating facts. I didn't come out speaking in a foreign language. I didn't come out saying terrible things about America. I just came out and started spitting facts. And I was like, I will be referred to as Mustafa Ali. Uh, if you boo me because of who I am and what my name is and where I'm from, then that's on you. You know, I'm not doing anything to elicit that reaction. So it was kind of unique in the sense that what I really did is I took the camera and I turned it away from me and onto the crowd because I started asking the crowd questions. I said, why do you boo me? Because I look the way I look. And, you know, obviously people, when they feel uncomfortable, they, they just start booing you again, you know? So it was, it was a very unique uh, character, I, I think, and it kind of helped form who I am today. That's That's really cool. I love that you're able to... Turn that around into a positive character, and then two things need to happen. One, the crowd needs to accept and love you, which they did. But two, you got to get pushed and accepted by your employers. And to think of the run you went on from the first time we sort of saw you on WWE TV to being this creative, amazing aerial superstar on 205 Live, (laughs) but that's still a monster leap away from where you are today, right now. I mean, as we talk about this, we're less than 24 hours removed from Fastlane where you're part of the WWE Championship match. To me, that's crazy because guys your size, guys with your style, don't always get presented as serious title contenders. How are you even able to deal with the run you've been on going back from 205 Live to now in terms of that you're breaking the mold? Man, uh, you know, you're saying this, and I'm kind of getting goosebumps right now because as you're talking about it, taking a step back and realizing where where I'm at right now. And I wouldn't have believed this. That's not, not even years ago, months ago, I wouldn't have believed that this would happen. Um, you know, I've always had all the faith in the world and my in-ring ability. But like you said, sometimes it's how you're perceived and how you look and how good you are doesn't matter sometimes. Um, and to, to think that, like, all that hard work that I put in on the independency, all that hard work I put in on 205 Live, it was noticed. It was noticed. You know, there's no way I came into SmackDown with the momentum that I've had without it being noticed. So it's kind of like, man, like hard work still pays off. You know, it's kind of like this refreshing, you know, deep breath you're taking. You get to exhale. You go like, man, I I worked hard and I, I'm being rewarded for it. You know, um, like you said, man, this is, this is such a crazy ride. I, I just competed for the WWE Championship on a pay-per-view. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I, I was lucky to get a pre-show match before, you know? I was lucky to even get the pre-show match before that. 
I was an alternate in the Cruiserweight Classic. I wasn't even supposed to be in the tournament. I was a backup. And then when I come on to 205 Live, I'm, I'm nothing more than like an enhancement guy to, you know, kind of put over the the more well-known guys that are on 205 Live. And, you know, it, it's so wild to me that, like, I'm in this position and it's, it's due to nothing more than hard work. Like, I, I would go out and people would A, boo me, or B, not know me, and still boo me. And what is it? It's been about two and a half, not even two and a half years that I've been with the company, and now I'm in this position. So it's like, uh, yeah, man, I'm, I'm taking a step back right now. As you said, that kind of like, and, and I'm kind of, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm taking away. Uh, I don't, I don't really have the words to describe it other than what, what a ride. Well, it's, it's. I thought the best word was refreshing because, like, let's let's just use an example. <laughs> Neville, Neville in NXT, and and also in 205 Live, I thought was just phenomenal. I didn't like, though, yeah. of course, the way he gets presented upon his initial main roster call-up. It's more of like a superhero, let's say, flashing toy. Go out there and do your flips and, and be fine. You're presented in a serious manner, a true title contender right away. So to make that leap, to get to that point, you're obviously impressing people along the way, backstage yeah. or whatever. Is there someone? Was there a specific person championing for you? Was there someone who saw the art form, saw what you really bring to the table, that got you, that helped you get to this point where it's not like, no, let's not put him with the Lucha House Party. No disrespect to those guys. Let's make him his own individual single thing. Yeah, I think it's it's a number of things. Um, you know, a lot of people have opinions about 205 Live. But what, what I love about 205 Live is that it is a platform for us to show not only the WWE Universe, but also management, those, you know, the powers that be, what we're capable of doing inside a WWE ring. It's one thing to go to someone and say, hey, I can portray this character, or hey, I can fill this role. It's different to go out there and actually show them. To me, this is a very aesthetic business. You have to show things, you know. Uh, I get a lot of love for these, uh, these, uh, uh, these vignettes, these promos that I shoot on my own time in the street. I was telling the writers for a long time that I'm capable of talking, and they just didn't really believe me. So what did I do? I, I went out and I did it myself to show them. I filmed it. I brought it to TV. I, I put it on my social media. And they go, oh, you can talk. And, you know, and I understand where they're coming from. We live in a world where it's kind of like you take everyone, you know, their word at you know, half value sometimes until you see it. So 205 Live is the same thing. We get to showcase what we're capable of doing. So, you, you know, your question about me being put in a, in a kind of a more serious role, I got to fill that role. I got to show that I was capable of doing that on 205 Live. You know, I was chasing the Cruiserweight Championship. I was having these insane matches with Buddy Murphy and Cedric Alexander. And then I would work a striker like Hideo Atami. But then I would work a submission specialist like Drew Gulak. I was showing that I can work a multiple, you know, multiple guys with, with different styles and different scenarios. And, you know, um, I I think as far as backstage, I, with 205 Live being on before, uh, you know, now it's back to being on after SmackDown, but we were filming it before SmackDown. A lot of the SmackDown Live crew, uh, writers and producers were you know, obviously watching the show as well. Uh, you know, to me, you'll never say it, but I feel like Daniel Bryan has a lot more uh, involvement in me getting called up than he'll say. Uh, I know he's a big advocate for the Cruiserweights. I know he, he supports them a lot, and, you know, being a smaller guy himself, he knows how hard it is. Um, so, again, he'll never admit it to me, I'm sure, but I have, you know, reason to believe that uh, he was uh, at least, uh, you know, 
brought me up in discussion. And another guy I really had to thought, uh, thank is Road Dog, uh, Brian James. Uh, when I first came on to 205 Live, I was cast as the bad guy. And him and I had a serious discussion about how, like, why do we have to, why do we have to do this? Like, why do I have to be the bad guy? Why can't I be the first openly Muslim guy with a Muslim name, the guy that looks like a Muslim? Why can't I be a good guy? I have this amazing moveset. Why are we going to throw this away? And it was Brian, it was, it was Road Dog that took the leap of faith and said, yeah, you know what, we're going to try this. We're going to, you know, we're, we're going to try, you know, that's all he said, but, and that's what we needed. So yeah, there's a, there's a lot of people, uh, in the back that I think are pulling for me, but the, the reason they're pulling for me is because they see the hard work, they see the dedication, they see what I'm willing to put myself through in that ring. Uh, you know, and yeah, man, here we are. <laughs> I love that. Cause you know, you, you got a, obviously a, a really cool out, uh, wrestling attire with the face mask, all that stuff's amazing. And that may pop certain people. But when we hear you on the microphone and those those incredible promos you reference, that's when your character was received a backbone. Yeah. That's when you gave me a reason to care outside of, hey, I love all those yeah. cruiserweights, man. They're 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 flipping fun. No, this guy's gritty. He's an underdog. He's all these great things. Um, we don't we don't hear or see enough of that. I think that's that's that the refreshing's the best word because you're given a microphone and you delivered. Uh, not everybody gets that chance. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, you know, not everybody gets that chance, but sometimes you got to create your own chance. You know, you got to create your own opportunity. Like I said, uh, these promos that I was filming, I, I, I shot them and, and had them filmed in a very specific way to make it look different than everybody else. You know, no one was doing this, uh, this stylized and yet, you know, this is what we call it now. Uh, no one was doing it, uh, but but me and I, you know, we 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 shot in wee hours in the morning. If I wanted to talk about like you know rising to your feet again, we made sure we shot it at like five o'clock in the morning with the sunset kind of coming up. You know, what I mean, just like really specific small things, uh, you know, that people may or may not have noticed. But you know, when they see that dedication, they see that you're you know you're being so intricate about all the small details, and it resonates. Um, and yeah, man. Uh, you know, about being able to talk to the people and let them know who you are. I learned very, very quickly with the WWE Universe, if you want them to care about you and not just your moves. Like, if, if they react to your moves, that's cool. What you want is you want them to react to you, you just coming out, you just, you know, holding a microphone, you hitting a pose. That, that's when you know you, you connected with the people. Moves don't connect with the people. Uh, it's emotion. It's, it's thoughts. It's personality and it's who you are. So I, I, I'm still working on that. I feel like I'm, I'm reaching out. <laughs> I'm putting my hand out, and, and hopefully the WWE just grab my hand. Go yeah. together. No question. You're doing fantastic. And we first came to know you, what you mentioned earlier, the 2016 Cruiserweight Classic. You come in as a late replacement. Um, Mustafa, this is the fine wine in the WWE Network cellar that I don't think everyone in the company realizes how great that thing was. It had everything you just mentioned. Crazy moves, connection with the real-life people in the storyline. It even had Daniel Bryan on commentary with the great Moro Ronaldo. Yeah. This is really one of my favorite things that WWE has ever done. Uh, you you have a match with Lindsay Dorado. Unfortunately, that was your only match in the tournament, but that's the first time I had ever heard of you or seen you, and you won me over instantly. Tell me about that entire experience how that launched uh, you know, 205, is, how you were able to, to, to get a part of it. it. It's it's one of the better things I've ever seen. Um, yeah, well, it, it, it is quite a story. Um, 
So uh, obviously WWE is trying to uh, gather the the best cruiserweights around the world to compete in this tournament. So I get a phone call, uh, and I had I had a trial with the company in 2013, and at the time I was told straight to my face, "Hey, you're you're not what we're looking for. You know, uh, um, we don't we don't see you working here. So talk about you know having your dream stepped on. You know, uh, I get the, I get the phone call about being in the tournament. I go, okay, this is my last shot. Like I've got to I've got to show them. You know, maybe in the tryout I did something wrong, but if they see me wrestle in a match, um, you know, this will be what gets me my dream job. Um, I, I tell them I'm all in. Uh, they they release the list of the participants. They they announce all 32 competitors, and my name isn't on the list. And obviously, I start freaking out because you know I've, I've told people that are close to me, I've told family that I'm competing in this big tournament, and I I frankly call William Regal. It is then that I find out that I'm not in the tournament and I'm just an alternate. I'm a backup. Uh, there's 10 alternates, too, on top of that. And he, you know, he says, you know, I really think you should still come down, but as of now, you're not in the tournament. You're just, you're just, a, you're just a backup in case someone gets hurt or can't, can't make it. So obviously, I'm devastated uh, knowing that the one chance I had, you know, to step up to bat, I don't even get to like step up to bat now. You know, I'm still sitting in the dugout. Um, and I still go to Orlando. I go, I go to, I go to the tapings, and I go there with the biggest chip on my shoulder. And I told myself, if they crack that door open just a little bit, I'm gonna kick it down. And you know, they made the mistake of cracking the door open a little bit. Um, uh, one of the competitors couldn't make it. You know, I was told, uh, you know, it'll be me, Lindsay Dorado, who is a, a, a very good friend of mine. We've gone way back, um, and so I was excited about the opportunity of working with him. Uh, and we went out there and we killed it. It was only a five-minute match, but we threw whatever we could, uh, you know, at the WWE Universe. And obviously, I got eliminated. I was very proud of my performance, but I did get eliminated. And uh, we talked about how cool the Cruiserweight Classic was. And as a performer, having to sit back there and watch this amazing tournament unfold was so hard for me. Because obviously, I was, I was loving it. I was loving it when I saw there were stories. The story between Brian Kendrick and Daniel oh, yeah. Bryan on commentary, like, like, all, like all that, uh, you know, uh, the the insane action, uh, you know, just some of the best matches WWE's ever put on happened in that tournament, and I had to sit back and watch it all unfold, and I, I just remember, like, man, like that, I I I should be in there, I should be, you know, advancing the class, I should be playing this thing, like, could I have, you know, so uh, what an amazing tournament, yeah. If you haven't watched it, please go. Go go watch it because you'll see 32 guys that go out there and give it their all. Well, the um, the best part uh, about that, yeah, just an amazing thing. Yeah, and the best part about that was that it was presented as if every match was was life or death. That every victory, like, was going to propel the winner to something to it's getting one step closer yeah. to their dream. And to hear you basically say you were fighting for your WWE life with your performance. Yeah, you're and that's what's so cool about the tournament format. Every single match matters. You know, like, let's face it, sometimes on some shows, like, you know, matches can be looked at as filler or not important. Every single moment in this tournament was important because it decided what was going to happen next, you know? So, yeah, one of the best things, I, I would agree with you, one of the best things WWE's put out. All right, you hit a move in that match as quick as it was. It was amazing. It, I thought it was one of the moments of the whole tournament when you hit the Spanish fly. And this has become a move that you bring out, you know, every once in a while in big 205 Live settings or now in SmackDown. 
This is the best move in all of wrestling. And anyone, Mustafa, that says, oh, well, they need each other to make the move happen. Well, yeah, obviously, okay? Let's get that out of the conversation. This is the most insane move. There's times I've seen it done on the floor outside. Did you bring this to WWE? Because I felt like I hadn't seen it in WWE before you, and now I see it from a couple of Cruiserweight guys. Yeah, I don't know if anybody in WWE has done it uh, for me. You know, if it was, it'd probably be someone like a Neville or like maybe a Justin Gabriel. But I can't specifically remember uh, anyone else doing the move beforehand. But obviously, the, the move the move is called the Spanish Fly, and I I made it a point to make sure that commentary still calls it the Spanish Fly. I didn't want to rename it because it's not my move. It's actually a move from uh, the Spanish announce team, a uh, tag team that used to run up and down the uh, the East Coast, uh, along with a guy named Amazing Red. So just uh, an O'Day to them, you know, those are guys that I, you know, grew up on the independent team watching, so I, I insisted on uh, keeping the name Spanish Fly, uh, because it's their movie, and I, you know. But, uh, yeah, that movie, it always gets a reaction, and to anybody that, you know, everyone's going to have an opinion about something. I, I, I don't know why you just can't sit back and enjoy something and, and admire the athletic ability and the fact that I'm risking my neck <laughs> to perform this move and whatnot, but uh, uh, yeah, man, it, it's always uh, it's always crazy. I remember we did it at WrestleMania, and it cut to uh, John Cena was in the crowd watching, uh, uh, and I just remember the expression on his face. He, he was trying to put two and two together about what he just saw, you know. Uh, so yeah, it's a very it's a it's a crazy move. It always gets a, a great reaction, but yeah, man, uh, I don't think anyone's done it before me in the WWE. Oh so. man. Uh, thank you for bringing that there, and I like that you shouted out the guys that you that you you took it and sampled it from. And we got to close on this, and it's been a, a joy to speak to you, Mustafa Ali. Appreciate your time. I read that you were heavily influenced and loved the great Bret Hart, and that's great. But we're there's a divide in the wrestling world. You're either a Sean guy or you're a Bret guy, and we are big time Sean guys on this show. So I want to give you a chance here to defend your boy Bret Hart. I never would have pegged you as a Bret guy. What's going on here? So I, I people are kind of surprised. Obviously, my in-ring style is a lot different than Bret the Hitman Hart. Uh, but that's you know you have to wrestle. You have to you have to realize when when we perform, we're, we fit into certain roles. Uh, uh, I do. I am a huge fan of tactical wrestling. I'm a huge fan of the way uh, Bret Hart performs um, because I'm casted in a certain role and, and I'm supposed to fit a certain you know piece of the puzzle. I can't wrestle that style on TV all the time. Uh, so I don't really get to showcase that side of me. Uh, but even bigger than wrestling, what what Bret Hart means to me is when I was a kid, he he is the guy, he is the role model that implemented the idea of you always do the right thing. No matter what, you know, you fight the good fight. He was that, that classic good guy. And I just remember just being attached to him, like cheering for him, you know? I said he, he the good guy's gonna win. He's gonna he's gonna prevail. He's gonna he's gonna overcome Diesel. He's gonna overcome Psycho Sid. He's gonna overcome Yoko's gonna be larger than he shouldn't have a chance against him, but he's gonna stay in the fight and he's got heart. Uh, and that just resonated with me throughout my entire life. Like Bret Hart was the epitome of what a good guy should be. So wrestling aside, you know, psychology aside, uh, technical ability aside, all that you know, obviously he's fantastic at it, but all that aside. Just what he stood for resonates with me to this day. So that's why I'm a, I'm a big uh, Bret the Hitman Hart fan. 
Wow, you just really shined up the baby face there. You got me you got me loving Brett in that yeah, moment right. right there. But just yeah, to close, did. did Brett screw Brett or did Vince screw Brett? This is your chance to be honest here. Uh, I wasn't there. Ah. I will never know. <laughs> I wasn't there. We'll never know. Uh, great stuff, man. Great stuff indeed. Mustafa Ali, you have us cheering for you big time, but Adil Alam, the man behind the mask there and behind the, the flips and all the great storytelling, you got us cheering for that baby face as well. I really urge everyone to check out Episode one, season two of The Secret Life of Muslims. I'll give you three places to, to catch this on Splinter's Facebook page at Splinter News, at The Secret Life of Muslims on Facebook, or on the AJ Plus YouTube page. Mustafa Ali, man, you got a lot going on for you behind those flips. Deep fella, great chatting with you. Thanks for having me, guys. All right, once again, special thanks to Mustafa Ali. Wow, Adam. You know, when when... When you hear this type of story about about changing stereotypes and changing the way people feel, sometimes it can feel like, like, all right, I get what you're saying, blah, blah, blah. But when you really hear the inside track about how, like, when he was playing an evil heel build from Saudi Arabia just because he felt like he had to, and yet on the raid of the ring one night, a kid stops him and puts his fist up in his face, and he's thinking to himself, I'm teaching that that person to hate people that look like me. That was a real eye-opener. That was a big moment for him and his career to make that turn. And I love the thing that jumped out to me the most, that even up to the level of when he was on 205 Live and about to go on SmackDown, there's still conversations backstage with people like Road Dog who are like, you're going to have to be a heel. And credit Road Dog when Mustafa Ali challenged him. It's like, why can't I be a face? Why can't somebody of my religion, my creed, my color... And it, it's refreshing. It really is. It is. The, his refusal to be a heel, I really respect. Because it's not just that. It's that he's created a character in Mustafa Ali who you want to root for organically. Coming from under, right? And the truth is the Mustafa Ali character is the type of character Vince McMahon loves. He loves guys like that that are all heart, that can take a massive beating and still come back from it. That's how like he built the WWE with guys just like that. And there's no reason that someone like Mustafa Ali cannot be Mustafa Ali. Um, what I found interesting, and you didn't touch on it too much in there, but just knowing his background, and, and you talked about the Cruiserweight Classic a little bit. Yes, this guy was on the independent scene for 13 years. But he was not a Ring of Honor, PWG, impact wrestling guy who people knew like people knew about him but he didn't wrestle at these major indies he was a rather small guy and wwe very much so because there was an injury that they had to replace plucked him from relative obscurity added him to the cruiserweight classic he lost to lindsay dorado in the first round he then goes to nxt has like one match on nxt in the dusty Rhodes classic loses it and they put him as a main guy on 205 Live. Well, he, he started as him... an enhancer, too, on 205 Live, which is crazy. That Every step yes. of the way, it's been like underdog overcoming. I'm sorry. I, I did mess up. Right. He started as an enhancer. They built him into a main guy. And then he's like the first dude to move from 205 Live to SmackDown. So this guy, just by virtue of being great at what he does and a great in-ring wrestler and seemingly a very good person, has taken all these steps. He, he, he went from... I think he went from unknown to, to 205 Live in seven months. 
And now he's on SmackDown. It's impressive. Well, he's not just on SmackDown. It's like the fact that he's a title contender. I mean, we're, I talked to him less than 24 hours after he's in a WWE championship match, regardless of how he got there storyline-wise. It's just insane because the one thing I really you know broke down with him, I, I use Neville as a, as a comparison. Like, that's why I find this whole thing so refreshing. Like, they easily could have said, okay, you're good enough, you work hard for the main roster, but again, you're a high flyer, you're in some tag team with another cruiserweight, your whole gimmick is the the mask with the colors that change and all you do is backflips and you're never going to talk on the microphone like that could have easily been it and for a lot of guys that's the ceiling that's the end game and maybe one time in his life he breaks off and has a u.s title feud and that could have been it and it still would have been a cinderella success story but the fact Calisto. that basically Kalisto is what you're describing exactly and, and by the way it's not a bad life you, you make a lot of children happy you do some cool things in there but the fact that he knew he was worth more. The fact that he got people in his corner, like like Daniel Bryan, like Road Dog, who were able to fight for him. But he exposed two things, or revealed two things, sort of how the WWE system works behind the scenes. It was key what he said that because 205 Live was filmed the same day as SmackDown in the same arena, and sometimes before SmackDown, that it allowed all the producers who work on SmackDown to get a really good view of him and and see him in, against all different style of wrestlers. That's obviously a lot more valuable than had they filmed 205 Live somewhere else, even though we used to argue that from a fan's perspective, we would have preferred that. And then the whole idea about his promos, which we've said are fresh, different, the black and white ones on the street where he talks about being an ex-police officer. The fact that he was the one who shot those on his own, posted them on Twitter, and then brought them to WWE and was like, see, I told you I can talk. And then that they had the, 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 the smarts to go forward with it and to make that part of who he is. I give WWE credit for that. I give him a lot of credit for each step of the way, believing in who he really was and that there was more to him. And I think it's refreshing for any other person in that locker room to hear that interview, to know that story and and see that like it's possible. Even in WWE for all the stuff we say of Vince ruins people, it's possible. Well, people need to fight for themselves and and I'm just drawing a little parallel because a little bit of information came out this week where obviously it was reported that Revival asked for their release. Well, I forgot who did the interview, but it was Scott Dawson or Dash Wilder, one of them, uh, did an interview with a uh, you know United Kingdom newspaper. And he basically said that got completely blown out of proportion. That's not actually what happened. Now, he didn't actually tell us what did happen. But what it sounds like is that those guys went backstage and said – you, you're not treating tag team wrestling on Raw seriously. It's a joke, and if things don't change, then we – if things don't change, then we will want to leave. It sounded more like an ultimatum than a, than, than a request, right? And I think what Vince has always respected is people standing up for themselves and saying, this is what I want. You know, We need to do something better. This isn't getting across properly. Now, why that didn't happen with Neville and why that didn't ha- happen with Dean Ambrose, I don't know. Maybe those guys didn't really stand up And they just got frustrated and they said, you know what? Screw this. But it goes to show that when you have that type of gumption and and confidence in yourself, guys like Mustafa Ali, guys like Daniel Bryan, by the way, it can go really far. And I'm thrilled for his success. All the way. Yeah. And man, it's a feel good story. It just feels really good. And Vince does respect if you shoot your shot and go for the brass ring. But as we've heard people say in the past, you got to have it when you do that. 
and you got to have like a plan B or C or D if he doesn't like what you brought to the table or you're going to end up like Ty Dillinger. All right, that'll wrap up that. Please support and, and cheer for Mustafa Ali. What a good dude. I really uh, I'm behind and check out that that um series that uh, you know that he that he was pitching there because it's very good stuff about his career behind the scenes. Hey, he's a Bret Hart guy. We had to we had to, I mean, can we hold do we have to hold that against him? Should we? I don't think I don't think we have to hold it against him because his reasoning was good. He also overlooked like the entire you know, angle that he left WWE on, like not the one he left WWE on, but like when he was a massive heel and, and we, you know, WWE built uh, Canadians as, as these massive, um, you know, bad people. And, and he, you know, cheated to win sometimes. And so he wasn't always the guy who did things the right way. Oftentimes he was, uh, but not always. Uh, and I liked how he kind of avoided the last question primarily because we all know Brett screwed Brett. Right, and I didn't get a chance to get into this because time was running out, but Mustafa, if you're listening right now, just so you know. Uh, I'll just say for the record, I was not banging Sonny. Just, so just for the record. Just so you know. All right, we're going to have to do a lightning round style on uh, Hero or Zero. Not my favorite segment, but it is Adam's favorite. Let's get into it. Let's do it right the heck now. clarify my favorite segment is booking the damn territory which we very rarely do and pay-per-view rewind i love this is your favorite segment because when we started talking about hey what are we going to do on state of combat your first idea was hero or zero it doesn't mean it's my favorite my favorite is pay-per-view rewind that's the best segment. all right well we will is it fair to say we're going to do a pay-per-view rewind before wrestlemania uh, it's not fair to say that because the uh the interviews are coming in hot and heavy okay bc legit lightning round Hero or zero, let's try to keep each of our takes to 30 seconds. Kurt Angle announced that he will have a farewell match at WrestleMania 35. Are you ready to see him go, hero or zero, and who should he face? Hero, I'm ready to see him go. It's not that he's been bad in this old age. It's just there's nothing more to do, accomplish, or add unless we were carrying out that Jason Jordan storyline. Now, with Jason Jordan, I, I think there's still a, uh, some doubt that he may not he may not ever wrestle again because the injury was so severe, and obviously it's been a long-ass time since we've seen him. Who should he face? Man, would I love if Jason Jordan is able to get back in the ring if it ends up being him. Perfectly logical way to build that out. Time's running out. Beyond that, Adam, um, I really hope it's not a, just a, a, a throwaway Jinder Mahal heel to just, like, take the fall. I know he's going to win, and he should win. Just, like, shout out to Apollo Crews. That's one of the jobs you should do. And he did it willingly, it seemed, to give Kurt Angle his moment on Monday in his home city of Pittsburgh. I don't have a perfect name, and I'm going to throw it back at you. Who should he face? Like, it, a Chris Jericho would have been great, but he, it, he's not available right now. So who should he face? There's one person he should face. His name's Chad Gable. You're right. You're right. Because that if they if they wanted if they wanted to have done the Chad Gable is his son gimmick, it would have worked the same way. Yeah, I mean, it would have worked better just because they're so damn similar. But it's you have it as a passing of the torch moment, and it allows Gable to get that push that he really needs and deserves. Because look, glorious Gable, whatever you want to call that tag team, it actually works. And I didn't think it would initially. They work really well together. Their finisher is spectacular. Um, they're a great tag team, much to my surprise, but I shouldn't be surprised because Chad Gable is such a good wrestler and such a good tag team wrestler, but he's also totally capable to be a one-on-one guy, a singles competitor. And what I would love to see and and credit, like you said, to Apollo Crews, 
putting Engel over. I think Engel, Engel is one of his idols. That was very cool to see. But what needs to happen is you need to have Engel, uh, Chad Gable, as a heel. Call out Kurt Angle. I am better than you ever were. It's a simple storyline, and you put Chad Gable over, and you retire Kurt Angle. In terms of should he go, it's an absolute hero. Honestly, he probably shouldn't have been wrestling this year. Um, I'm ready to see him go. That does not say anything about my respect for him and his career. He's an awesome. One of my favorites. And what would have really worked, and I know AJ's got bigger plans, but if they would have done AJ Angle in this spot, I think Angle would have found every drop left in him. They obviously have had great matches in TNA and have worked together yep. a ton, have great chemistry. That could have been something cool as well to give him a, an I love you type moment. They, they also could have brought back Randy Orton, Legend Killer, which would have been cool. I was thinking that as well, no doubt about it. All right, Hero or Zero, number two, Adam Harlem Heat. We're talking about Booker T and Stevie Ray, the real-life brothers, announced as the newest 2019 WWE Hall of Famers, joining DX Honky Talk Man Tori Wilson. One of the most underrated tag teams of all time. I mean, certainly, were they 10-time champions overall? I mean, it, 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 it did add up. Um, Hero or Zero to that, that we're talking about a Hall of Fame-worthy team, one of the greatest. Not even a question. These guys are made for the Hall of Fame. Now, people get upset when teams like Harlem Heat, and I don't even I don't even know what teams like Harlem Heat means, but when certain people get into the Hall of Fame over others, they'll say, where's the Midnight Express, right? Tori Wilson gets in. Where's, I don't even know, I can't think of a woman. Ste Bull the McConnell Steiner brothers or, should be in, let's be honest. Yeah, the Steiner, why aren't the Steiner brothers in the Hall of Fame? So you can't look at it that way. Like you kind of say, there are quotas that WWE tries to fill each year. An old school guy, a woman, a team, a singles competitor, and an African-American or someone you know with a different ethnicity. They try to do that. These guys, forget any of that. They are a Hall of Fame tag team. They won the tag team titles in WCW 10 times. They were the best, in my opinion, tag team in WCW for an extended period of time. And WWE at that time didn't really have great tag teams. So they were one of the best tag teams in wrestling. Absolutely deserving. Massive hero. Congratulations, Booker T. Two-time, two-time Hall of Famer. Um, I'm a little close. All right, all right. I'm a little, you just called it a massive hero. I'll call it a hero. I'm a little closer to the debate line. And look, there is no racism in the WWE and in the State of Combat podcast. Won't now have, now ever will be. And that's the bottom line. I'm not going to go as far as to say this was some form of, of quota filler or some sort of questionable that got in. It's just a little weird to me because Booker T's already in. So the the kind of rarefied air when someone is a two-time Hall of Famer or or eventually three-time or maybe Triple H would be a 19-time for all we know, um, it is a rarefied air. And I, when it was first announced, I did toy with that. Well, is Harlem Heat really, really? But you know what? When you consider the amount of tag team defenses, the, the reigns, I guess is the right word, yeah, I, I, I'm going to push them over the line, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be fully okay with this. They are one of the more underrated of all time. They were a foundation and rock in WCW over that time in the 90s. And, yeah, hero, but I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't call it a slam dunk hero. I call it one of those you gotta, you got to pick through a little bit. Also, incredible theme music, too. Great, great theme music. And I want to hear some of the more stories. And, and this kind of came out when Stevie Ray inducted his brother, but Stevie Ray and Booker, not always best of friends uh, no. post-wrestling career. So it'll be fun. It'll be interesting. Absolutely. All right, BC. Shane McMahon turned on The Miz during Fastlane, beating the hell out of him after he tried that frog splash and they lost to the Usos. Was this the right move? Uh, and did Shane sell it properly on SmackDown? Hero or zero? I'm going full 
hero. And I'm going to say it's a little bit of a surprise because I thought we would end up with a WrestleMania match, but I certainly thought it would be because Miz was the underhanded jerk in this whole situation and used and played into the idea of doing it for your father, knowing that that would be Shane's weak spot. I, of course, thought they were going completely down that road. They swerved me, and I'm going to say it's a hero because of the intensity of Shane McMahon's heel turn. Telegraphed, yes, but set up really nice. Not completely telegraphed. When it happened, you're sort of like, whoa, you knew something was going to happen is what I'm going to say. They, they gave you that period where you kind of hold your breath for a second. You're like, is it going to happen? Is it going to happen? And the fact that Shane went all in is the hero because he comes out on Tuesday and, and he's dressed like a greaser. I, I put the tweet out there from the outsiders with the black leather jacket, black T-shirt <laughs> and jeans. And he's but he's acting like a so she's acting like an absolute dirt hole. And it worked, man. It worked. And I cannot wait to see. What they can do with Babyface Miz, with George Mazanin in his corner, and can you still get Vince in this in some form? You don't need Vince in this to make it work, but can you have the dads go face-to-face? I don't know. Maybe that's too much. Maybe that's overbooking. But Shane as a heel, yes, I didn't know how badly I needed it. I need it. I want it. I don't expect this match to be a classic, but I expect Babyface Miz to be awesome as we get closer. Yeah, I'm with you. So... I thought everything that happened at Fastlane and even the start of Tuesday night on SmackDown was a hero. I didn't necessarily love the explanation. It didn't make all of the sense in the world to me. I kind of wish he wasn't so much about best in the world and making Greg Hamilton, by the way, side note, Greg Hamilton, best WWE ring announcer since Howard Finkel. I stand by that. Um, but all right, but okay, I got nothing against Greg Hamilton. I think he's really good. But to make a claim like that and try to make it like it's a bold upset, um, no, I'm there, saying I stand by it. There hasn't really been great announcers since Howard Finkel. Like Chimmel's okay, Justin Roberts is okay, uh, Eden Styles. Oh my god! Like I mean, you know, I'm all in. Are you all in, Brian? Yes, to Eden. Yes, uh-huh. yes, yeah. yes, yeah. Eden. Eden, I am all in. Um, but it's not like it's Murderer's Row here, and he's the best of the group. Okay, but. Chimmel, Roberts, and then you had Lillian Garcia, who was very good. Serviceable, but not spectacular. So I'm just saying, that's there's a significant number of people who have been ring announcers. He's great. He's not Fink level, but he's great. He's very good. I got nothing against him. Let's roll on. Okay. Um, where was I? Uh, I? So I didn't necessarily love all of that. Like I felt like he almost went too over the edge heel in that regard and didn't fully explain why he did this and and no, the whole a- the did. whole angle of like your dad never believed in you well my dad never believed in me and i made it work and i didn't have to kiss his ass like he he had so many other ways to tell that story wwe had so many other ways to tell that story it just fell flat to me but i love the turn and i'm glad that he's a heel and i'm excited for the match I- i'll counter your flat real quick just to say that I thought Shane nailed it with the idea of like everybody's trying to get something from me. I'm the son of this guy who doesn't even yeah. love and recognize me and everyone, whether it's a stock tip or a job or a promotion, everybody's trying to get something from me. And that's what he saw that Miz, who wasn't living up to his end of the bargain in the tag team and was letting them down, was trying to do use Shane just to make his dad happy. Brilliant. Nail it. Move on. I just don't know why hero. you involve the dad so much. When you're not going to play into the Vince angle, well, which is what you're saying, we're we're in agreement somewhat. Well, part of it, let's be honest, the Miz and Miz and Mrs. is just starting up their next season. I think what yeah. this week coming up, George yeah. plays a big role in that. And if we're honest, Miz is a comical baby face in that show, even though it's different than wrestling. It, it kind of is perfect timing, and it makes a lot of sense. All right, rolling on here, Hero Zero number four. 
Bobby the All Space Mighty Lashley became the new IC champion on Raw as Leo Rush got in the way to slash distracted Finn Balor and the title changes hands again. Hero Zero on a Finn Balor Bobby Lashley angle entering into WrestleMania and that the title would change hands on Raw just 27 days out. All right, so this is this will be the first ever full Silver King Hedge because wow. it's really 50-50. It just is. First of all, great and powerful Oz version of Bobby Lashley. I love that. But here's the thing. So you can't have, and this is why I didn't like the title change initially. You can't have Finn Balor go into WrestleMania as the champion. You need him to win the title at WrestleMania. So I don't even know why they did that in the first place. But since they did that, they had to get the title back on Lashley. And having Leo Rush cost Balor, just like Balor beat Leo Rush for the title and didn't beat Lashley for the title, at least sets up a storyline where Finn Balor has never actually beaten or pinned Bobby Lashley one-on-one. He's unable to deal with both of these guys. They're a hindrance to him, and it gives him and it gives the storyline a reason to continue into WrestleMania. So while I don't love it, I don't love the idea of frequent title changes, at least in this case, it makes sense from a storyline perspective, and it creates the possibility that we might see the demon in New York. All right, you just turned me back around from the idea of it is better with Balor on the chase, potential for demon, and potential to just give him a mania moment. Exactly. I'm okay with that, but I felt that the haphazard nature in which they presented both this title match, they were just sort of like, okay, up next is the IC title match, and here's a title change on the kind of finish that we see every Raw in almost every other match. It really felt like it watered down the IC title, and I don't like that feeling. I love when that title matters. But, you yes. know, getting it back on Balor, if he's going to get good booking, I'll be okay with that. I'm not going to complain anymore. It's it's just the problem is if he does win it, that's four title changes in, like, six weeks or, you know, or, like, two months or whatever. It's it, – stop it. These aren't hot potatoes. Like, the titles should matter. They just did it with the U.S. title, too. You know, they I forgot who R-Truth beat for it. I'm totally blanking. But R-Truth wins it, and then Samoa Joe wins it, and then Samoa Joe almost lost it, and now there's another title match, and it seems like they're going to keep doing this fatal four-way. Figure out an opponent for this guy and just move forward with it. I don't know. Yeah. that That's where I stand. All right, BC, last one here, or zero lightning round. Alexa Bliss announced herself as the host of WrestleMania 35, and we also have Braun Strowman, and it looks like his WrestleMania angle is going to be with the SNL Weekend Update guys, Colin Jost and Michael Che, who will be correspondents at WrestleMania 35. Oh, God. Does any of this do anything for you, Hero or Zero? Uh, somehow we didn't get into it last week, and I'm actually glad we didn't because um, this SNL crap, it's so reminiscent of uh, – remember that time uh, – what's the dude from punk uh, Ashton Kutcher. Ashton Kutcher and Danny Masterson came on, and WWE allowed them to just like walk all over the wrestlers and talk trash and not have to pay for it, and it was painful, and it slowed the show down, and they hijacked it. This the inter- interchange backstage two weeks last week was just it was just awful, it, literally. And I know that there's people DMing me going, you know, my wife was watching, she was giggling the whole time, she loves F- SNL. Then I guess you know it's working in some demographics, but. No, no, it's awful. And I know that they did the whole car breakup, and it is fun to see Braun Strowman and, or Brock Lesnar beat on things. 
but they're doing it because they have nothing for Braun Strowman, and they haven't for 9, 12 months, and it's really painful to watch. You even then sent me the link to WWE Shop selling Braun in that same car to break apart, which is why we've had that shark cage. By the way, I have one of those shark cages over there in my basement. My kids got it. They never play with it. Yes, that's why we saw so many shark cages with Enzo hanging from it at SummerSlam that time. Um, No. I, this correspondence thing sucks the horn. If you want to have them, that's fine. Guess what? WrestleManias 1, 2, and 3, we had random people. The Where's the Beef Lady from Wendy's was at WrestleMania 2. We had some random people, but they played very small roles. And they showed up, and they gave you a celebrity pop, and that was it. I do not need these clowns on this show any longer. The Bliss thing, I mean, come on. She's great on the mic. The, the, she's saucing up her new role. If this means that she's too hurt, I know she denied it on Twitter, but there's those rumors that she's still too hurt to wrestle. That's a great use for her. It's fine. It was lame the way they announced it. It was quick and lame. I want out of this category, this question. I'm done. Double, <laughs> double zero. Yeah, it's a double zero. Market zero. Um, zero point zero, as it were. Like, So the WrestleMania host, if, if you're going to have someone do that role, it needs to be someone that matters, right? The Rock hosting was awesome. New Day hosting, because you knew it would be fun, matters. But Alexa Bliss going out there to start the show and just cutting a promo, probably praising herself before the SmackDown women's title match, it really adds nothing. You can't tell me they couldn't have found a legitimate good celebrity, Maria Menounos even, to be oh, the oh, WrestleMania oh, take host. Take that back. Take that back. No, I'm just saying anyone. Like, I don't understand it. It, fe- it feels forced. It feels like they felt... We need to have a WrestleMania host because we've had them the last couple of years. So who is it going to be? Oh, it'll be Alexa. I would have rather Alexa and Braun been WrestleMania hosts because at least they play well off of each other and it would give them both something to do. Regarding the SNL guys, you're 100% right. I like celebrities at WrestleMania. I think it's fun. Pete Rose being there, Pamela Anderson, Muhammad Ali, awesome. I don't need B and C-list celebrities on the show. And I love SNL and I love both of these guys. I think they are hysterical. And I think that... It could work. I don't know what they're leaning towards, but if they're the ones helping write the comedy, I have a, I have a feeling it could be very good. But it goes to show exactly what you said, BC. They have nothing for Braun Strowman. The fact that this guy doesn't have a match or a plan for WrestleMania coming out of last year when they had him stupidly get a kid out of the audience to be his tag team partner rather than beat these guys on his own and actually carry the tag team championships for a period of time, which would have been good booking. They don't know what to do with this guy. They refuse to make him world champion, either Universal or WWE. Double zero. I'm done. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Take that. Take that. Uh, to close here, before we get into field spots and wrap this thing up, uh, we obviously didn't talk NXT this week. I have not caught up on it. You can blame me. We're going to get all into it next week. I know we're we're dong deep in this uh, Dusty Rhodes Classic Tag Team Tournament. Adam tells me it's friggin' amazing. He also told me that about this new Mae Young thing. Haven't had the time. I'm, I'm sure he, NXT UK is great, too. But, look, we can only prioritize I, so much. I hope when we're at WrestleMania Media Day and doing interviews all around WrestleMania that a lot of the women in Mae Young Classic 2 are there so that every interview we do, I'm going to say, hey, pitch Brian on why he needs to watch the second Mae Young Classic. Because you, like, you are missing out, and it's your own fault. Just don't – how dare you compare that to the 2016 Cruiserweight Classic. Talking to Mustafa Ali in that interview about it, I got all the heck fired As, as I said, again. I will repeat again that the last, like, three rounds, the best the best parts of May Young Classic 2 
are as good as Cruiserweight Classic matches. Absolutely. Right. And I know that New Japan Cup is going on right now at NJPW. I'm getting a lot of tweets from people that are saying, dude, you have to watch this match, or did you watch this match, or all of that. Adam, you've responded on Twitter. Uh, we've res- we don't even currently have the subscription right now, but it brings up an interesting DM, so I want to quickly hit this up. Don't look now, but your friend Bob Backlund at TalkBox, the same guy who is planning that road trip with you that I that I brought up last week. He, it's a reality. It's, it's still real to him. Damn it, he thinks this has happened. He's ready to vape with you and Victor in the front seat of the, the full bench seat. He I says. Sliding into those DMs like Little Nate running down a mania ramp. BC, is it true you are all out on NJPW? Can you break that down a little more? Was it really just the elite leaving? Has Ghetto booked it into the ground? Sorry, Gato. Are you holding out in a protest vote until Yano the GOAT gets his due glory? Here's just a little of what you are missing. Zack Sabre Jr. comparing the Richard D. James Aphex twin album to his current NJ Cup run. I don't know what that means. The potential start of Kota Ibushi as IWGP heavyweight champion. And now this, and he hit me up with a uh, slapping fest between uh, Nagata and Ishii. Like one of those, you know, standing sort of just slap wars. P.S. Hi, Adam. Hashtag vape with Victor. Well done, <laughs> Bob Backlund. But look, the question is is an interesting one. I don't want to say I'm done with the NJ- question. Where was the question? Uh, are are you all out on NJPW? What's the reasoning? Oh, is it just okay. the elite leaving? Yes, the elite slash Kenny being the major hook because Kenny's the best wrestler in the world. And when the best wrestler in the world was putting on thirteen and a half star matches in NJPW, you had to pay attention. When Jericho was there adding to the revolution, you had to pay attention. When your boy BC thought the revolution was coming out of Japan, meaning North American takeover, better TV deal than Axis. Basically, I thought AEW was going to be NJPW. We already talked about that before. I was a little bit more all in, losing Cody, losing the Bucks, losing being the elite as the window to see into NJPW has hurt my interest. If I kept logging in right now this week to this website, would I still be blown away by Abushi and Naito? A hundred percent. And I know it's there and I know I would love it, but I cover three sports for a living. I've got a wife and two kids. I got two dogs and two cats. Uh, there is a there's a line in the sand you have to draw. NJPW was great because it made us go past that line. It made us carve out time. Adam, if we actually told the people how much time during the G1 that we put into that oh damn thing That's just joke. to make sure this podcast was where it needed to be. Oh. I'm not saying I'm never going to watch the G1 Wrestle Kingdom or their Dominion thing ever again. I'm just saying I got to be honest with you with Kenny out with the heartbeat of the revolution no longer in that territory. I'm not out. But I'm also not in, Eden. Well, let's, all, let's also not forget, they never gave Naito the title. They took Okada out of the title picture. Now, that's a storyline, obviously, and they're going to build him back. But Okada's not – those guys are not wrestling in very meaningful matches. And you have Jay White as the main guy in NJPW right now, a guy who, BC, you and I both agree, we went from hating him to tolerating him to saying, hey, this guy's actually good. But saying this guy's actually good doesn't mean I want to watch every single one of his matches like I do Naito and Okada and Ibushi and Kenny Omega and all these guys. So if the top of your card isn't as strong as it possibly can be, then you're not going to have our interest because we don't have the time. I, you know, you talk about covering three sports. You do. I'm your lead editor for those three sports, and I have three other sports that I'm that I run here. Plus, we do this podcast, and we do we don't do thirty minute shows for you guys each week. We do two hours, right? 90 minutes to two hours. 
So there's only so much time, especially during WrestleMania season, to watch other wrestling. I almost want to say, thank God AEW doesn't exist yet, because I don't even know when I could watch I it. Right now. Dude, you know I love NXT. I'm barely catching up. Barely. That's your, that's your fault. You should never miss NXT. I just get to, to, to the end of the, us recording this podcast on Wednesday afternoon after three straight days of nothing but wrestling, and I'm like, I need a break. I need a, yeah. I need a break. But yeah, so, so talk box, everyone else out there. I'm not saying I'm out. We'll see what happens moving forward. I need AEW to launch, and I also need the stars of NJPW to have a chance to mesh with the stars of AEW because there, there's still an argument to be made that there's better wrestling at the top, at the highest level outside of WWE than in WWE. But for that to happen, I need Naito against Kenny. I need those type of crossovers. Wait, uh, if somebody, on. if somebody could go and be a star in AEW, it's Naito. Like, like the, like the, the one B face of it. Can you imagine Kenny and Naito as the stars of that promotion? Let's just not get anything twisted right now. The AEW roster, as it currently exists, and they're not done, and it's very small right now, but there's no greatest wrestling in the world there. They have the greatest wrestler in the world there, and they have Pentagon, who's maybe number two or you know in the conversation for top ten, and the Young Bucks, people can argue, are maybe the greatest tag team in the world, but they, they don't page all too. Ha- They're pushing but, Page and Neville. I like it. But no, but oh, I, I, I totally forgot about Neville. Sorry. And I like Page. My point is... They don't have enough guys to have consistently great different matches. So you can't tell me that they're even anywhere near that. NGPW, on the other hand, does have those guys. And if you say match by match, where does the best wrestling in the world reside? Well, I'm probably going to say NXT, but then I'm probably going to say NJPW. Yeah, if it ends up being split, Adam, the the revolution side of our heart, it was all together for a season – in, in NJPW, and that's why the the I mean, twenty seventeen through halfway of twenty eighteen was amazing. Incredible. But Incredible. if it's splintered moving forward, it is going to hurt the idea of the revolution. But let's see what happens because uh, it seems, even though we don't know their TV deal yet, it seems AEW has a shot to to make a bigger splash than Access TV with NJPW yeah. on tape delay. So we'll see. But even if they do again, they have to have a roster, and I know they have all these partnerships so they can move people in and out. But you have to have a roster that gets you tuned in and interested to see different matches every week and every month. And they, well, don't act like they don't have variety though. They've got comedy. No, they do. They do. But it's just not for, for even just one promotion. There's not enough like today. There's not enough guys for Kenny Omega to fight as of today. No, I disagree with that. There's three. There's more than you think. And their point is they're trying to keep the roster small on purpose because they don't want to stockpile like WCW did. By the way, if you have a chance, Adam, I know you probably won't just like I won't watch that May Young yet. Um, the Tony Khan interview on Chris Jericho, if you listen to the whole thing, is really smart and I in depth. It. They want to I heard it. They want to avoid the WCW sins. They want to keep the roster small and only add when they need to. I, I'm, in, I'm in on what well, they Well, sh- they should. And look, if they add an Ambrose and if they add – uh, Gallows and Anderson, which we didn't really talk about. Apparently, they requested their release. And if they add a revival, yes, th- th- there are pieces. But I'm just saying, like, for Kenny Omega, the greatest wrestler in the world, I'm going to stand on this soapbox, and I believe I was right. This man probably should have gone to WWE. No. And that's not about ambition, and no. it's not about drive or any of these other things. Wrong. Or starting, or starting a revolution. For me, it's totally about potential matches. There are t- there are dozens of guys in WWE that have could dream match possibilities with Kenny Omega right now in AEW just right now and I admit the roster will expand and it will grow but right now there's like three and You're that's wrong. really not enough for an entire promotion you got Penta you got Jericho you got Cody you've got Paige you've got Neville. Cody no one wants to see Cody Omega again you're just a hater and I will tell Cody that you said that by the way all right we got to get out of here with the field spot Adam what do you got to start what do you got 
look, I, I can't believe we really didn't mention it, but this Randy Orton, AJ Styles feud, we've had a feeling it's been coming. They've been building it very slow and methodically and done a very good job. Two, first of all, the, the RKO and the phenomenal forearm at Fastlane was awesome. And that face-to-face promo segment Tuesday night oh, on SmackDown. God, yes. I'm sorry, I'll use the word. Was phenomenal. Wow, here's a little snippet. As long as you want to rent a room out in my house, see, I'm the landlord. And rent's due, you son of a bitch. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. Come on. Yes. WrestleMania season, Randy. That's what we got. And oh, the back and forth with calling out the indies, with AJ defending the indies, and then pointing out how Randy had help along the way from different factions. Brilliant. Brilliant. And now he's surrounded by all indie wrestlers in WWE, which is true. But just as brilliant as Randy saying in 2005 when you were getting a tan with Dixie Carter in Florida, I was fighting The Undertaker at Mania. Right. Wow. Yes. Loved it. This is, look, this is going to be, it's going to be one of those where it's going to compete to steal the show. And yes, I got a bunch of DMs asking me. I'm sorry I didn't get to him. Yes, this match will compete to steal the show at Mania, yet really doesn't have a lot of pressure on it. And it's just legend versus legend. And it's going to be great. Now, don't forget also, there's a very small, very small group of people who have ever kicked out of the RKO. Who, who we, might see, we might see one of them here. Wow. wow. All right. My feel spot was you teased it earlier. That the whole idea that Gallows and Anderson stood up and said, we want out of our contract when it's up later this year. Reportedly. They can do, if this is true, they can do a hell of a lot more in AEW than they've been tasked with. Look, there's been seasons where WWE has given them more room on the mic with a feud against the New Day when they were putting on the doctor's coats and doing some funny stuff. I just think overall they should have their own network show. They should have their own podcast. They should have something more because they're absolutely hilarious. And if they are allowed to just be themselves on potentially AEW, that's a game changer. It's an, it's a great addition, okay? People laughed when I said if Matt Hardy can go to AEW and be broken, that it could be a game changer. And I stand by that, that it could be. These guys could be a big part of something bigger if it happens. So call up your brother Ferg, by the way, and tell him he's welcome as well. And my other feel spot was talking to Greg Valentine about the 83 Starcade dog collar match with Roddy Piper, which is so epic and so freaking brutal. And if you hadn't seen it, you're going to hear Greg talk about it. But if that's not a match that's already in your lexicon, you got to watch it. I was watching some old Starcades in a row after talking to Valentine, 84, 85, 86. And my feel spot this week is how quick these guys were to blade, how quick they were to get the juice. I mean, I'm watching like Abdullah the Butcher in there, and there's a there's a fork to the forehead and a blade within six seconds. And I'm watching cowbell matches. I'm wa- I mean... I just love the old days. Like, Adam, do you know what's imprinted in my brain and heart as a wrestling fan? Being like seven years old and getting these wrestling books from the bookstore, that all they are is pictures from like Mid-South and those other territories, and everyone in there is busted open. Everyone across the board. That's wrestling, man. That's wrestling. <laughs> and, and it's that's, not that I'm a, that's That's wrestling. And it's not that it's about bloodlust, because I got to agree. I, I'm going to ask you a question. I know we're way over time. But I got to ask you this question. In 2004, 5, 6, did WWE overdo it a little on blood? It was almost too much. It's shocking when we think back because they went PG in 2008. But there was almost a little bit too much. Yes, I think once Austin Bret Hart happened and they did the Bloodstone and they saw the reaction to that and they saw the reaction to Mick Foley going off Hell in a Cell and they saw the bloodlust from the fans and the era that it was, they ultimately went overboard not so much overboard. They used it too frequently where it's, yes. it, stopped, it stopped having meaning. So now when someone blades, it's like, whoa, it's a big moment. 
I, I don't want to go back to the days of 85 Starcade where I'm watching a cowbell bull rope match and there's just a bloodbath. I don't necessarily want to go back there and I don't want to go back to the days where it's like way too many matches have it. But there's a middle ground. And WWE only seems to bring it out once a year when like Undertaker or Brock Lesnar or Triple H or somebody who has clearance or Vince isn't going to kill if they do it. But I, even if it's guys, even if you're just telling us it's blood packets, I, it's not the worst thing in the world on a pay-per-view. Just think just think about the impact the blood had for Becky Lynch. Yes. yes and that was unplanned. Yeah, you're damn right. All right. That's the damn show for the week, guys. Um, uh, I lament because I do love and NJPW. You know that. But I do feel like I'm breaking up. I am breaking up. Okay, guys, it's going to have to be friends with benefits. I'm not married to NJPW anymore. So hook the leg, hook the leg. We had a good run, Adam. We had a damn. Well, good listen, we'll be back run. at Dominion. We had a good run. At a minimum. Or will we? That's really the question. But anyway, the show's over. Uh, end the interview. Uh, yeah. Say goodbye. Say, good- All say goodbye. Good stuff. Um, Kenny Omega. Did you used to tell us on the way out of here? Back when I knew where things were on my soundboard. Yeah. All right. So. Goodbye. And good night. And JPW, I'll never forget you. <laughs> we're out. <laughs>